BreakTheRules.tv on YouTube, and we are playing everywhere, especially Odyssey, where we wanna we want to uh, we want to part the the Red Sea and bring everybody over to Odyssey, and that is a biblical reference for a very biblical stream today. We are going to be talking about the origin of Christianity with James Valiance and Luke at I am Lambda of Lambda Bible Studies. Everybody subscribe to Look. I'm going to post the link as well. I'm going to post the link to James's Facebook. And of course, we are joined by the wonderful Giovanni Panacchietti. And I would love to play a game later on with Gio where you would put something under your fez and the audience will guess via super chat what it is. And <laughs> the whoever eggs, the, the black egg. That's whoever, yeah, good. whoever comes closest. Whoever comes closest will get, like, I don't know, print or something. <laughs> anyway, I would just want to throw that <laughs> Literally, out. Literally, they have a similar game. Nice, nice. And finally, last but not least, we got Nosk Informant coming back, coming back better than ever. And, guys, after this, we are going to have a Twitter space, which I'm going to post right now here in the chat. So get ready for that Twitter space. And it's going to be called, you know, with this very clickbait title, Is Christianity tr uh, True? So I I'm sorry. I know it's a very, I know it's a very clickbaity title. W what could you do? It, bring, is it this brings in the people. Twitter space going to finally answer that question? And we can it is. Stop discussing yeah, it. It is. Well, no, this is actually what this is. This is the first of many uh, BTR Holy Wars. So the this is the beginning Wars. of the BTR Holy War. This like is it. This is, how, this is how it starts. <laughs> That's a good name. Oh, God. And it starts with the debate about uh, the origin of Christianity as far as whether Christianity was created by the Roman elite. But before we start that, I want to have some intros. So, James, uh, go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself, followed by Luke. Oh, hi. Uh, well, I am the author of Creating Christ with my co-author, Warren Fay. It is the product of combined 60 years of research, more than 30 years apiece of it. Um, my own background is a degree in philosophy from NYU and a Juris Doctorate from uh, the University of San Diego. I was a practicing prosecutor, uh, a deputy district attorney for almost 18 years in uh, San Diego County, where I prosecuted murder and rape cases, some appellate work. Um, I'm the uh, author of The Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics. Uh, as well as Creating Christ, a book <clears throat> about biographies, about the controversial philosopher and novelist Ayn Rand. That's me. Excellent. And Luke? Yes. Hi, I'm, I'm Luke. I run a YouTube channel called Lambda Bible Studies. Um, I'm bringing less than 30 years of prep for this stream, and I'm not an attorney. So I'd like people to think of me as the plucky underdog here. <laughs> How how I see it though, how I see it though, is that you are going to be supported by a spiritual cloud of many Christians who watch the BTR stream. So you are not alone, even though you are Protestant and Geo. How would you say the what would you say the amount of Protestants versus Trad Cats and Orthobros are who are watching BTR? I would well, that's like that's pretty low of a margin. I mean, it's mostly Orthobros and Trad Cats. Um, I would say like no, I shouldn't say that. I mean. Uh, we've got a few Protestants on, but hmm. I think, yeah, in terms of the audience numbers, I'm I'm pretty sure it's like solidly apostolic. So. But here's what I'm going to say for all the Among trad the cats. Anyways. Yes. Well, here's what I'm going to say for all the trad cats and orthobros out there. Uh, Martin Luther actually started to read the Bible and he started to think, are the people who are practicing it practicing what they preach? Are they people who are preaching it practicing what they preach? And when it comes Lab, to figuring, right hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold right on. When it away. comes to figuring out, when it comes to figuring out what exactly is going on, 
I don't think at this point it matters whether or not Luke is Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox. What's important is that Luke knows his Bible, and James also knows his Bible. And that is what we are focusing on today. We are focusing on biblical history, and we are focusing on uh, you know, the historical accuracy of how a lot of these things came about. So with that being said, let's start from uh, James. James, go ahead. Well, the theory that the book goes on uh, is simply an attempt to put Christianity into its historical context, just as we would put any ideological movement or set of literature into its historical context. Christianity has sort of resisted being placed into its historical context from our perspective for various reasons. Um, the fact that most uh, thinkers in the West until quite recently were Christians has, I think, interfered with that objectivity. But we begin with the observation that in the first two centuries there was a cataclysmic apocalyptic war between messianic jews uh and the roman empire the main line of messianic jews in the first two centuries of the common era believed that a military political leader an earthly leader was the conception of the hebrew prophecy of what a messiah would be and all of our sources pagan and jewish believed uh, that the main Great cause of this done. war were these uh, messianic prophecies. Messiah was the thing, and all the purported rebel leaders who failed in the failed rebellions all the way up to the Bar Kokhba revolt in the second century were all claimed messiahs. They all claimed to be the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy. That This movement was <clears throat> ultra-sectarian, Torah orthodox, as you can imagine, just as jihadists today want uh, uh, Sharia law to be the law of the land, so it was that Jewish rebels wanted the Mosaic law, the Torah, to be the law of the land. To some extent, the Romans allowed it to be the law of the land until a Jewish re revolt, but they wanted full-on independence. They resisted Hellenistic assimilation and influence. They were militant, nationalist, ultra-sectarian, messianic Jews, uh, which were your mainline messianic Jews of the first two centuries. When you look at Christianity, the documents of the New Testament, the earliest documents of Christianity, the early, earliest evidence of Christianity we have, Paul's authentic letters, the Gospels, and so forth, it seems quite plain from the 30,000 foot, 10,000 meter elevation uh, that Christianity is a critical response to the Jewish rebels of the first two centuries. Uh, in its Torah criticism, in its overt internationalism, in its overt plea for peace with Rome in an extreme way, um, turning the Messiah from an earthly thing into a spiritual thing um, altogether. Um, the evidence for this is all over. There's archaeological evidence, there's uh, numismatic evidence, but uh, let's focus on the text. Um, the passion narrative, for example, shared by all four Gospels, is obviously fiction, demonstrable fiction, and it is demonstrably an allegory blaming the Jews for the death of Jesus, a remarkable thing. A crucifixion is normally a Roman mode of execution. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. He's convicted by the Sanhedrin of uh, violating the Mosaic law. Uh, Pilate declares him innocent flatly in all four Gospels, and it is a violent, militant crowd that is insisting on Jesus' uh, execution, not once, but three times, that finally overcomes Pilate's resistance, and in a cartoonish, melodramatic way, he washes his hands. This, of course, uh, is uh, kind of obvious in its allegory, and to any listener in the first two centuries, the political implications would be obvious. In fact, the entire story of the Gospels would be an allegory uh, that is consistent with an overt critique of the Jewish rebels. And uh, recent scholarship has indicated that the New Testament could not be the product of 
illiterates who um, trace themselves to a you know a pastoral itinerant preacher in the hills of Galilee arguing for peace quite the opposite uh, uh, quite the opposite the gospels and the letters of Paul are sophisticated crunchings of both Greek philosophy and religion as well as a, a deep understanding of Hebrew literature now it turns Hebrew literature in many senses on its head inside out but it is a very sophisticated crunching that could only really have been done by elites of the time. And uh, most certainly the many pro-Roman Jewish elites of the time would have a strong motive in trying to redirect Messianic Christianity into a pro-Roman um, form, a way that they could assimilate into the Roman Empire. And so I think our leading suspects for the composition of the New Testament are pro-Roman elites uh, uh, responding to, if you will, the Jewish rebels of the first two centuries. So, uh, Luke, uh, let me know what you think of that and uh, your uh, response. Yes, amazing. Um, I, I've taken copious notes, so uh, I've only got five minutes. I'm going to quickly lay out my um, positive case first. Um, perhaps I should even save my response till later, but um, uh, I, I think my key points in favor of Christianity not being a Roman invention is firstly that Christianity is very clearly Jewish in form. So I, I think modern scholarship w would make it quite clear that the, the categories you find and, and the interpretation drawn out of the, the New Testament only makes sense in a Jewish context with a Jewish mindset and not a Roman mode of thinking. Um, there's many sources um, if you want to ignore the Bible as sources, you can look at people like Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Lesser, um, even the, the Talmud, and uh, I, could, I could go on with a list of sources that talk about the growth of Christianity um, during the first few centuries after Jesus. Um, so I, I'd, I'd be interested to know um, and you can you can tell me in a minute um, when you think the Romans made I think you said oh, well I'll, I'll, I'll confirm that with you in a minute but um, I think we have good reason to believe that the growth of Christianity and the followers of Jesus happened before you would be dating that Roman writing of the New Testament so then it opens the question of what what was this movement you mentioned lots of Messiah characters you're absolutely right everybody was claiming to be a messiah back then so why did this one person suddenly have this giant following why were the other people not um also given the you know the the growth of christianity between the death of christ and the date that you're claiming that the romans started seeding it uh, is yet to be explained um and then I guess my last comment would be there are very many geographical and cultural bits of knowledge, little tiny clues that it would be impossible for later fabrications to add into the text. So if somebody was making up the New Testament later down the line, even if they were very theologically sophisticated, as you've implied, they would have made mistakes on things like place names, the names of people, geographic locations and their details, the relations of places with each other. You have to remember this was a long time before the internet. So generating fake accounts was 
was much more difficult to do. And in fact, the the whole concept of historic accurate fiction, I mean, you mentioned there are allegorical um, factors in some of the stories in, in the Gospels, um, but it's quite instructive to compare the four Gospel accounts with some of the slightly later Gospels that were written, like the Gospel of Thomas, for example, um, because the literary style is is vastly different. I mean, in, in one case, you've got quite grounded, realistic events happening. And then when when the ancient world wanted to become allegorical, they really didn't hold back, right? It's, you've got Jesus coming out of the tomb a thousand feet tall, and there's a crowd of a million people over all the hillsides. Um, so I, I would argue that the um the death narratives i think you said were clearly fictitious i don't think they were intended to be fictitious i think we can see that the people who wrote them believed them they went to their deaths because they believed that their first-hand accounts must have been correct um, and then following that um that one person's life it spawned this remarkable movement which which we see is now the the most important religious movement of, of the 21st century there you go excellent so uh james let's get a, a response about uh the uh, things that luke was talking about perhaps the uh, first-hand accounts or anything that you would like to uh, uh go for here the first thing he mentions, the fact that it's Jewish in origin, of course it is. It is meant to, it was not, never aimed or made for pagans or by pagans, at least the early, uh, first century and early second century material, uh, first century, early second century material was not. Of course it's a Jewish context. There was a large population of pro-Roman Jews, though, and we have to understand that there were many Jews who were, in effect, Josephus is a great example, writing Roman propaganda outright. Um, so the fact that it is Jewish in origin doesn't alter anything. In fact, obviously Christianity is a critique of the rebels aimed at Jews or people likely to be converted by Judaism. Jude Jews were throughout the Roman Empire. Disturbances, and this gets to the second part of his question, uh, stuff before the war. The Jewish rebellion began in 6 AD. It did not begin in 66 AD, although that's when open warfare in Judea broke out. There was violence uh, beginning with Judas the Galilean, who started a whole fourth philosophy, a rebel philosophy, according to the historian Josephus, when Romans first started imposing a census and tax, and there were violent disturbances throughout the first century. Violent disturbances that reached Rome in the 40s, just the, the fourth decade, the uh, uh, the fifth decade of the uh, of, uh, first century, the disturbances among Jews uh, and Gentiles in Rome caused the Emperor Claudius around the year 4950 to expel all the Jews from Rome, uh, stimulated, according to Suetonius, by one Crestus, apparently a messianic figure uh, who also had a title like Crestus, uh, but was operating a, a apparently a little later. Uh, so there was violent rebellion throughout the first century uh, of such significant magnitude that it was already on the Roman radar screen and required an ideological response by both the Roman government and uh, any Jews who wanted to take the Roman side. So uh, Paul, in Creating Christ, we take the standard dating for Paul's letters, for example, the authentic letters, not the uh, pseudo-Pauline epistles, but the uh, authentic letters, uh, let's put them into the 50s. Uh, the, 
already we have, we're post the time when Jews are being expelled from Rome, and we have an empire-wide military slash ideological problem confronting the Romans. So they've got all the motive to do uh, all this already and get it started. Uh, the Gospels probably were written after the war. Now, getting to the um, fictional aspects of the uh, passion narrative, it's clearly fiction. Uh, if the Sanhedrin wanted to execute someone before the Jewish war, they would have had them stoned. Josephus himself cites the, the authority that the Roman governors and emperors gave to the Jews to enforce the Mosaic law uh, in their own land. The Sanhedrin could order someone stoned. And they did so. In fact, it's not only in Josephus that we have the Sanhedrin having people stoned, such as James, uh, the brother of the person called the Christ, according to Josephus. It's in the New Testament itself, the stoning of Stephen and so forth. Jesus interrupts the, I know it's a late story, but Jesus interrupts the, sto the stoning of the sinning woman. So uh, Jews could stone people for violating Mosaic law. There's no reason why Jesus would not have been stoned. They did not have no law to, to execute him, as the story uh, purports. It has all kinds of other fictional elements. The thrice-repeated demand is artificial. Or the crowd in Matthew, we don't need Matthew's crowd to say, his blood is on us and on our children. That's obviously the theme of all four versions of the Passion narrative. Matthew just spells it out. It's an attempt to exonerate the Roman government for a crucifixion and to blame the Jews collectively. When passion play uh, uh, performances were done during the Middle Ages, it would stimulate uh, mob violence against Jews for many centuries. Poor Jews would have to run for their lives whenever a, you know, a Mel Gibson Passion of the Christ type movie came out. They'd have to run for their lives. And Christian anti-Semitism has its roots in the Gospels and in these stories. I mean, the Jews killed Jesus. That's how all early Christian writers, Origen, Eusebius, everyone who, the first the Christians who discuss this say this, the Jews got what they deserved in the Jewish war because they killed their own Messiah. Um, you can go on and on and on with it. The passion narrative is pretty much, uh, by critical scholars, rejected as fiction. And I think we have to go with that given the, the basic evidence here. There were no eyewitnesses to the trial of Jesus in any event. Uh, so those would be my general responses. Now, uh, yes, there was a whole bunch of Messianic Jews in the first two centuries who were crucified. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Messianic Jews crucified. And this is where the uh, stories of Christian persecution really come from. The Romans were eager to find accommodation with foreign religions. You can see throughout the ancient world, throughout the Roman world, uh, inscriptions of the local deities side by side with Roman inscriptions de dedicating it to Roman deities done by political and wealthy Romans all over the empire and depending on the regional gods. Rome succeeded for such a long time and with such an enduring empire precisely because of this flexibility, its ability to absorb uh, foreign religions. For example, it completely adopted the Greek religion. It absorbed, in effect, the Egyptian religion. It absorbed the great mother religions of uh, Phrygia and Asia, Asia Minor. It even started adopting the Mithraic cult uh, from its enemies, the Parthians, no less. So uh, every form of foreign religion was sort of absorbed by the Romans, and the sort of palatable pro-Roman version of it was made. If there wasn't a pro-Roman version of, of Judaism, it would be a, a lacuna, it would be an exception. We should be looking for the pro-Roman version of Judaism, otherwise it would be the exception to the rule that all Eastern religions had a Roman version. And of course, with Christianity, we have a classic thing. With Christianity, we have a major bend in the elbow of Judaism. 
We chucked kosher diet. We chucked the need for circumcision. We chucked the need for strict Sabbath observance. Purity laws go out the window with Jesus. So uh, we also have a man God, totally unprecedented in Jewish uh, thinking. Now, there were suggestions of a spiritual presence in Jewish literature, you know, uh, uh, messengers of God and so forth, aids of God. Sophia was being personified, the wisdom of God to some extent. But Judaism purport, purportedly is still a mono, monotheistic religion and was fiercely so at the time. The idea of a pagan man-god like Jesus, very common in the Roman world. Roman emperors were deified. Uh, Greek and Roman mythology is filled with uh, demigods who suffered on earth, were martyred on earth, and their apotheosis was regarded as uh, hope for resurrection among the devotees. So we have a radical elbow in Judaism that Christianity represents. That's why Christianity is a different religion. And though that can only really be explained by the dramatic Hellenization, Greco-Romanization of Messianic Judaism, which is in itself paradoxical. Messi the Messianic Jews of the time were the political radicals. They were the extremists. They were the ones who tended to be Torah Orthodox rebels. So to have both a, a messianic focus and a sort of otherworldly pacifistic focus, because even the Messiah's kingdom is not on this earth uh, anymore. The teeth, the political teeth have been pulled, you see, from the idea of Messiah by Christianity as such. But Christianity represents a, a Hellenized, pro-Roman, pro-peace uh, version of militant um, messianic Judaism. I think that's pretty obvious. Now, uh, before uh, Luke responds, I want to say another interesting thing that we can do here. Number one, uh, the people also want to hear Gio as, as well as we get through this. Uh, Gio uh, being the Catholic, I think it would be interested to get uh, Gio's response here. But another thing, I bring up a challenge to some of the people in the chat, including fallen student uh, who uh, has various calls of, oh, this is sophistry or you know, yada, yada, yada. So I am calling out to fallen student or anybody else who wants to, preferably as a super chat, but I'm going to make an exception to fallen student because he's been here all this time. Or Hopper. Hopper's also been here all this time. I'm making an exception for you two guys. Send in whatever counter arguments you have, certain things that you really want to pick. Like if you think something that James said is like, oh, this is so crapalicious. I'm going to take this apart. How could anybody even take this seriously? Send your response. I'm going to read it. Okay. Anyway, Luke, uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, great. Okay. I've got some more thoughts. So um, one thing that I'd, I'd like to hear an explanation for is that Rome was persecuting Christianity more so than Judaism. So if if this was a, a an attempt to seed a new version of Judaism that was m more um that was more palatable would would allow the the Jews to to live well under it or indeed if it was was um Jewish Christians who wrote it and then and then Rome sort of came alongside and said yes let's encourage this. Um why do we have so many accounts uh, from so many different historic sources about the persecution specifically of this new upstart religion of Christianity. Rome certainly didn't seem favourable um, to Christianity in its early days. Um, I feel like we, we ought to probe the, um, the supposed authorship and think about what, what sort of um, person are we dealing with? What are their beliefs? Because you, you said that the... Um, the Jewish people at the time were very sectarian, ultra-nationalist, and and I, I do largely agree with that. I think 
actually most historic people have had those characteristics it's it's a, it's a very common thing for for people to be quite jingoistic about their people group um but as you pointed out th there are some things about the writings of this group that are very unusual which is as you say that they're writing a fairly anti-jewish narrative you see the um, key figures in the story, as you pointed out, are, are demonized. It's it's like all of the people who are protagonists uh, you know, abandon Jesus, cast him away. It's the Jews who get blamed, as you say, for putting him to death rather than the Romans. And I, I think you can see that come out of Old Testament thought that here's the people who God chose and yet they um, fail time and time again. And even here, here's God come to earth and yet now it's the Jews who've who've asked for him to be killed. So th this um, seems like a contradiction in the two accounts that you were you were telling me that there was this jingoistic faction and yet they have produced this new flavor of Ju Ju Judaism that, that's quite quite the opposite of jingoistic, quite quite anti-Jewish. Um, so um, I, the fact that there was all these changes also seemed to me like a clue that this was not a political twist, um, uh, because if you were um, if you were making this cynically, you would attempt to make people feel as comfortable as possible in the religion, and 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 ultimately asking the very religiously devout. Jewish people, and you said there's the Messianic people were the, the the most excited about their religion. So, telling them to abandon the temple, abandon the rituals, and so on, would have made this a, a hard sell. Um, and I think that suggests that this um, this was a, a, a real, genuine account of God intervening and telling people that there was new rules that they would have found unpalatable, rather than as you suggest, an authorship who were doing this in a, in a cynical way. I mean, the, the the idea that this was a construction and that the people didn't believe it um, opens up lots of quite difficult questions. And, and, and I think it's improbable because it's so believable that the text has the providence that it claims. If you've ever read people's attempts at writing um, fiction, that that attempts to sound like it comes from a certain time and place and is real you, you will realize how difficult that that task is so for example we have four gospels so did they produce those four gospels um with with a certain amount of differences and interesting linguistic connections or, or was there an actual process of evolution of these ideas? Um, I, I'd be interested to hear more about what you think the process was for producing these texts, because I think if you go down the line that it was um, an evolutionary process over over time, that throws up difficulties. But likewise, if if it, if the claim is that this was um, concocted as a as a bundle, if 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 the whole process was managed, that throws up a different set of set of issues. Um, so so yes, I'm I, I'm very interested in this idea. Um, as ever, it, it's amazing that you are um, conceding lots of things that other New Testament you know, skeptical critics um, would hate to have admitted. But you're you're you have your own. Um, you know, well, just just to be clear, just to be clear, which are the things that uh, James is conceding for the audience? 
Um, oh, I, I thought of them as we were going through. Can can I come back to you on absolutely. that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and uh, James, so, I will, yeah, yeah. I want maybe one more question. Sure. Um, how accurate do you think the Book of Acts is? There you go. Oof, oof, oof. Well, we'll start with the last because it's sure. sort of easy. The chronology that Paul lays out in his own letters for his activities simply doesn't line up with the Book of Acts. And the book of Acts is apparently written in, I mean, Paul is the hero of the book of Acts. And so obviously they're impressed with this guy, Paul, only they're recasting uh, the history of Paul. That much is pretty obvious, at least before the we document portion, if scholars are aware that we go from a third person narrative in we and suddenly, it, or a third person narrative in Acts, then suddenly it changes to a first person we, 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 we uh, narrative. So it appears to be two texts sort of grafted together. And before the we document, at least, it's clearly a total reconstruction of the history and a change of the history as Paul laid it out in his very letters. Furthermore, it seems to me, I, I think many scholars have made uh, really good points about how uh, the unhistorical nature of Acts is in many regards. For example, Peter's Vi uh, visions when he has his interaction with Cornelius and his three times, you know, it just simply doesn't make sense given what Jesus is alleged to have said in the Gospel of Luke. It just doesn't line up that he's still getting, has to get on board about kosher diet. And then again, the number three, he was denied Jesus three times, three times he has this vision, three times, three, three, three. So it, it's, it, um, it's a metaphor, it's an allegory. I agree with Professor Eisenman, for example, but James is downplayed. In Galatians, it's clear James is the leader of Paul's movement at the time, and he just sort of disappears. He's downplayed and almost not mentioned in Acts. So I do not regard Acts as very historical. I think it does give us many great clues about Roman provenance. Uh, throughout Acts, for example, the Roman government is overtly helping Paul uh, time and time again. They send a whole cohort of their army to help him from his, uh, protect him from his Jewish opponents in the book of Acts. So if even a bit of the tradition of the book of Acts is correct, the Roman government was systematically protecting Paul from his almost exclusively Jewish enemies. Now, going back to persecution, the first thing you mentioned, no, Christianity is clearly a far more pro-Roman version than anything Judaism is. It removed everything that the Romans didn't like about Judaism, and we have vicious Roman anti-Semitic writers who tell us what they didn't like about Judaism. The sectarianism, they don't eat with us, they don't, they keep to themselves, they're lazy on the Sabbath, they're haters of all mankind, they're so sectarian and so standoffish with everyone else. It appears as though Christianity is going right down the list of Roman objections to Judaism and to dismiss getting rid of them. No, we're open to everybody, everybody can join. Greeks, women, slaves, Christianity is open to everybody. One of the great cell features, by the way, of Christianity. Uh, we get rid of Torah, uh, strict Torah observance. You don't have to do that anymore. That's where Paul starts the whole thing. Forget circumcision. That's no big deal. It was the whole covenant. Of, you know, it was the nature of the covenant itself in Hebrew scripture. So that's thrown out the door without any Hebrew precedent, whatever. Totally un in an un-Jewish fashion, by the way. Moreover, we don't have evidence of Christian persecution very much. The very earliest mention we have of Christianity in Pliny the Younger's letter to Trajan, the Romans are looking for a way to distinguish between those Messianic Jews. See, they're very confused about the concept Christian at this point, just as Tacitus is in his reference to Christians. And so they're looking for a way to distinguish these rebel Messianic Jews, who they consider Christians, from the pro-Roman Jews. And how do you do that? Are you able to make uh, sacrifice in front of images to Caesar. Well, obviously there were many Christians who could do that. 
We have Christians in the Roman army by the second century, a significant number by the end of the second century. By Constantine's time, it's such a powerful political force that Constantine could use them in his army and use them politically. To be in the Roman army, you'd have to be able to do that. So the idea that there were Christians who couldn't do that is partially, I think, uh, anachronistic Christian thinking being pushed back in time. Uh, uh, there were Christians who could do that. Secondly, uh, we have evidence from Tertullian writing around the year 200 that Roman governors were actively looking for ways to get Christians off of any political charge of being a, a messianic Jew. Ke Professor Candida Moss's brilliant book, book, The Myth of Persecution, covers much of this. Most of the Christian tradition of persecution is clearly mythologized, literary, and actual persecution there's very little actual evidence for in the record. Now, Christians certainly played it up. By the time of Eusebius, we're absorbing the whole tradition of uh, hardcore Messianic Jew persecution into the persecution of Christianity, which sort of explains it. So no, they were not persecuted. No, in fact, what you'd find is ideas printed on first century Roman coins like Pax Orbis Terrarum, Peace on Earth, Clementia, Mercy, Harmonia, Concordia, uh, you know, Brotherhood, Peace, uh, compassion were the Roman propaganda ideas they put on their coins in the first century. So peace on earth, goodwill toward men, ideas like that that you find in the New Testament is are the very same ideas you'd find in Roman propaganda printed on their first century coins. So no, the ideas of Christianity are far more friendly to Rome than say Messianic Judaism. Now the wars destroyed the Messianic version. Judaism sort of stratified into diff in different parts after the Jewish wars. The more militant factions were driven away out of the empire largely or into silence. They evolved and later became, I think, Islam. The remaining Jewish uh, elements within the Roman Empire either became a the rabbinic school that was then formed after the first Jewish war under Roman auspices, which de-emphasized Messiah and basically turned Judaism into a debating club. But then you've got the messianic, <laughs> hardcore, militant version, which really needed a strong response. And that's what we see in Christianity, turning militant messianic Judaism which was Jewish messian messianism of the first century, on its head, inside out, into a palatable pro-Roman version. One that even those uh, Greeks and Romans who were interested in joining could join. For philosophical reasons, monotheism was gaining a lot of traction in those days, and Judaism, for philosophic reasons, was becoming attractive to an even wider audience. So, uh, no. Uh, Christianity is far, obviously a far preferable version of Judaism to the Romans, than anything Judaism ever was. Now, uh, what I would like to do right now, just because I noticed that Gio took off a layer of his clothing, and I think there's a fire <laughs> that's uh, bur burning inside him at the moment. Well, I would. I just there's so much there, love. I, 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 I would the, love uh, for uh, uh, Gio to respond, and then Luke, and then uh, and then James. So uh, go for it, buddy, uh, Gio. I know this is a little bit um, unorthodox, if you will, but uh, you know, for like a formal debate. But I noticed the layer coming off, and I knew well, I had to I, say I just something. Don't... I think the problem is that we have to analyze the central claim here, which is sort of step-toed. Okay, first of all, the claim that every single scholar um, rejects the quote-unquote passion narrative, that's kind of bonkers to me. Also, the claim that the book you're citing is kind of a lot of inaccuracies on it. It seems that there's been this sort of since the New Atheist, this downplaying of persecution by of Christians by the Romans. But the central claim that you're uh, proposing is that Christianity being an outgrowth of the Roman Empire 
sort of contradicts the, let's call it enlightenment narrative since Gibbons onwards for the past, I don't know, since the 18th century, where Christianity was a fundamental part of kneecapping the Roman Empire. But when you actually, despite, I know you're mentioning coins and so forth, but the actual doctrine of pagan Rome is fundamentally different from Christianity. For example, if I have here um, uh, the time that remains by Giorgio Agamemnon, he talks about this relation to Paul and his use of duos or slave, how you are now in the shackles of Christ in our Lord, and how this is fundamentally different than the social stratification that was present in the Roman Empire. The fact that a Roman noble would call himself a slave to anyone is very interesting and contradictory to the old pagan order. Also, there's the claims of the amalgamation of, you know, its Hellenization and so forth. It still doesn't explain the radical fissure in that part of time to the order of the Roman paganism and Christianity than what came later on. So I think that there's a lot of claims here that are uh, going unnoticed. But also I would like to, if you were to explain why you consider the narrative of Christ's resurrection to be total fiction or allegory apart from some sort of hemming it up in the New Testament. Uh, I, it seems that that was a claim that's offhand, but I also want to hear what Luke, what you mm. would have to say. Um, Most yeah. critical scholars do reject the passion oh, narrative. Let's, well, let's do this. Uh, James, yeah. uh, you'll probably to Gio, and then I would love to hear from Luke as well. And because, yeah. Luke, I know, Luke, you cannot stay as long, uh, so I want to make sure that you get a, a chance to respond to everything. But since Gio mentioned these things, let's respond to Gio's, and then it's going to be more Luke and James. And then Gio's going to come in afterwards. So, uh, No, though fundamentally Christianity is far more Roman and pagan in one sense than it ever was Jewish. And it is uh, nothing uh, uh, wrong, in fact, we are in relation to the gods, even by Roman slaves. We are, uh, Romans would routinely refer to themselves as slaves to their own deities and ancestors, in effect, obedient to them. There are higher beings, and the Roman Republic itself was a sacred thing, and then they deified the emperors. So religion and politics are completely intermixed in this time and cannot be separated. If you note a pro-Roman or pro-peace politics in Rome, in the New Testament, excuse me, then that is noteworthy. It must have religious significance, and, con and conversely, it must have political significance. It was so friendly to the Roman way of looking at religion, um, a man-god, just like the emperors, um, a uh, suffering servant mystery cult type uh, religion, far more uh, familiar to the pagan world. Uh, they would you know, drink the blood of the wine god. They would, again, so that he would become an indwelling presence. Uh, the uh, death and resurrection of Asclepius was the hope for the afterlife for his devotees. This healing and afterlife god who suffered so terribly on earth, resurrected the dead, and was himself resurrected, enjoyed an apotheosis. So this form of religion is far more pagan, very common among Roman aristocrats at the time. They would regard themselves as slaves to that deity. In fact, they would. They, they're, what they're doing is they're becoming devotees in such a way that the deity becomes an indwelling presence in them. The, now you bring up slavery in the New Testament. Well, that's obviously a pro-Roman thing. Uh, slavery is a wonderful thing. Pay your tax. Look at Romans 13. The Roman government. Oh, I'm glad you got to this. I was watching Roman, your video. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's the Roman government. You know, if, if it was just throwing a bone to the Roman government, it would be one thing. But the you Roman realize that, but it doesn't really mean that that you should become like this subservient 
uh, citizen. It's kind of like a quip at the Roman Empire. I well, mean, the, the Roman government are God's agents on earth. Paul says, point blank, the Roman government is to be obeyed because they are God's agents on earth. The, the sword they wield is the sword of justice, the sword of God itself. Rebellion is a sin. It's not just a bad idea. Pa not paying your taxes is a moral uh, your tax is a moral obligation. It's not just a good idea to get along and go along with the Roman Empire. No, the Roman Empire are declared to be God's own agents on earth, over and above any Jewish authority at the time. That is really significant. They are God's, the Jewish God's agent on earth. Paul, in effect, is saying that God has gone over to the Roman side, precisely what Josephus, the Jew, said. God has gone over to the Roman side. That's why the Jews have lost. But then and, why would he feel the need to, to want the Roman emperor on his side? I mean, there is a point where I forget um, he was with the Roman official. He, the official said, maybe, maybe just a little bit, I will believe you. Meaning that there is this uh, sort of hermeneutics of persuasion going on. So why would Paul feel justified into persuading the Romans of that? Paul's interaction with King Agrippa, which is a very interesting passage. Yeah, it's King Agrippa. Translations alone are, are worth a laugh because in effect, uh, Agrippa says, you were almost made. If you look at the original Greek, Paul, uh, King Agrippa, mind you, the Herodian king is saying, you're almost making me a Christian, Paul. And oh, Philo, Philo married into that family. Philo's daughter married into that family. He's the one who wrote about the Trinity, and he was a Platonic Jew living in Alexandria, Egypt. Of course. Right in the time of Jesus. Neil makes a really great point. Philo is, prepares a, a lot of the philosophical groundwork for Christianity, blending Platonism and Stoicism with Christianity, an essential uh, you know, uh, uh, development that would have to come before Paul. Paul is definitely mining the sort of philosophical fusion that someone like Philo is doing between Hellenistic thought and Jewish thought. But you're, no. but you're saying that this is some kind of like epic read at Bacon own that this amalgamate, I mean, even Christian scholarship, I mean, no, no more than Aquinas would say that, of course, there's virtuous pagans in the ancient world. Of course, the right. ideas were present there. That's not necessarily a sort of, uh, you know, Paul is producing this kayfabe where, you know, he has to put the Roman Empire over to use a wrestling term, but it seems, well, it, you know, I mean, well, it seems that there's this narrativization of Paul's relation to the Roman empire that you're purporting. And I think that it's more nuanced than to say that while Christianity is an amalgamation of ancient gods, it seems to me that it, it belies the scholarship that has come about through, you know, orthodoxy and Catholicism mm. to say that, yes, the ancient world had truths, but they weren't the logos. The logos is something that comes about through time, but it reaches its quinescence in Christianity. So sorry if I cut well, you after, off. Okay, so after this reply, I want to go back. Uh, I want to go back to Luke. So uh, yes, yeah. logos is an idea from Greco-Roman philosophy. Well, obviously, I mean, well, it has its well, origins in it. But. You can interpret it. You can reinterpret Jewish thought. I mean, God creates by means of His word, and God said, "Let there be light." So, in terms of the Stoic idea of logos, uh, it can be applied. Uh, so what lovely, but Paul is perfectly aware of the application and Paul is aware of the nuances. And if he has to turn uh, Judaism on its head, he's perfectly willing to do so. And my last thought, though, is going to go back to Luke. I do believe that the documents of the New Testament evolved over time, that each of the Gospels represents a different theological perspective. There were different kinds of Jews at the time, different communities of Messianic Jews. Each community needed a reply. More than that, I think that they were responding to one another. 
The idea that Dominic Crossan, for example, long put, has long put forward that the uh, authors of the Gospels knew they were writing allegory, that it was allegorical truth to them, I think is probably true. They probably meant their listeners to take it literally, but for the authors, I think it's uh, many scholars from Dominic Crossan <laughs> on down have argued that the authors of the Gospels knew them to be allegory. Uh, there's just too much that's just uh, metho clearly mythologized and demonstrably not history. Luke? Yes. So uh, as far as I can see, the central claim that drives your theory is that the the concepts that Christianity eventually landed on were convenient to Rome. So Rome had the motive to to support this idea. Um, and uh, there's there's been lots of denying historic facts that I think are normally fairly uncontroversial. And I, I, I don't want to get into lots of details. Um, but the, the one which I think is is really key is that the Christians were persecuted because that seems like a fundamental issue. If Rome and Rome, uh, and you know, if if the reason that Christianity appeared was because it was about the the synchrony between these two otherwise disparate groups, you've got Rome and Jews having this war, as you suggest, and you're saying Christianity was just the politically expedient solution to that. The problem is that that the the Romans were trying quite hard to stamp out Christianity, yeah. and I, and I think even Answer if you think, uh, yeah. I have, a, I, have a, I have a really really easy answer to that. Well, if yeah. you look at who they credit for doing this persecution, it's usually Nero, Domitian. It's usually certain specific emperors. And a lot of people make the mistake by lumping all these Roman emperors, all these Caesars, as they were all agreeing with each other and they were passing down from generation to generation. And they're all in the same boat, all in the same mindset. But that's not true. The Vespasian dynasty hated the Nero dynasty. And there was a lot of hating yeah. going back and forth between from Caesar going to the next Caesar. So you got, you got the Catholic church or not the Catholic church. You got the church uh, right after the time of Domitian damning him and saying that he is uh, um, not, he, they, they basically damned him in the eyes of the church as well as Nero. And then they say, when, and then when, when Eusebius is writing his histories and say, talking about Christians being persecuted, he's saying this is happening under Nero, under Domitian. But they never say it's Vespasian doing this. They never say that it's Marcus Aurelius doing all this stuff. It's always specific emperors that they don't like, and that's what that's where this is all coming from. So it's actually we actually can have it both ways. The first law against Christianity did not occur until 250, and only lasted for a very brief period of time. Um, and it was a political thing because Christianity was now a political thing that Roman senators were starting to and generals were starting to support. It was a political threat. So now it was part of the politics of Rome. So you would take the Christian side or you take the Saul Invictus side. You take this side or you take that side. Constantine tried to have Saul Invictus and Christianity together. But Christianity is now a political force within Roman society by the third century. So it's now par a part of the political map and part of the religious and political disputes among Romans by this time. Actual evidence of physical persecution, there's precious little. The catacombs were not hiding places. They were places where Christians openly met and had their ceremonies and openly put their Christian symbols, proudly displaying their Christian symbols on the catacombs that anyone could go look at. If they weren't in hiding in the catacombs. That, that's been pretty much put to bed. Furthermore, what Neil says is really the key here. 
The only real evidence we have, I mean, look at Pliny's letter to Trajan and Trajan's response. Trajan said, do not go hunting for Christians. Explicitly, don't hunt out uh, someone just because they call themselves a Christian. Make sure they're this disloyal messianic Jewish type. So Romans are looking for a way to distinguish between messianic Jews, the violent and the peaceful. Even in Pliny's letter, the first reference to Christians we have from any pagan source. Now, the, very soon after Tacitus' writing, in 64, the great fire of Rome, it absolutely makes no sense that uh, the Jesus of the Gospels group could possibly be blamed in 64 for the great fire. They're not well known. The Gospels haven't been written yet. There's not enough Christians in Rome in 64 to make a plausible scapegoat. No. It's clear that Tacitus is once more, like uh, Romans of that very period, confusing militant messianic Judaism with uh, uh, the Jesus movement and Christians. And so he believes that uh, they're worth, th th that these people are likely scapegoats. Pacifistic Christians would not be likely suspects. Mm -hmm. uh, the militant rebels are the more likely perps for the great fire of Rome and make credible mm -hmm. suspects. Only two years later, the war would break out in 66. Oh, J James, real quick, uh, there was a comment from a fallen student who writes, uh, also, St. Justin the Martyr was pleading to the emperor to not persecute Christians in that dialogue. Uh, indeed, and citing paganism and appealing to the virtues of the empire. No, in fact, Justin Martyr's uh, uh, plea for not persecution is an eloquent assertion of the Hellenic pagan nature of, of Christianity, which Justin Martyr himself is focused on. <laughs> but he's pleading for a distinction to be made. Getting back to Neil on Domitian, we know that the Roman government used Messianic Judaism in its propaganda. Vespasian, for example, claimed to be the Jewish Messiah as part of his cult. So did the Emperor Titus. Josephus, a Jew, uh, endorsed this, as did Tacitus and Suetonius. And these writers don't merely say that they claim to be the Messiah. They say, point blank, they were the Messiah. So this was obviously a critical part of early Flavian propaganda, that Roman emperors themselves were, and of course, if you look at, say, the prophecy of Mark 13, uh, Jesus was, is predicting a glorious return of a, the Son of Man happening at the same time as the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, and within the lifetime of listeners. Well, the only one who could fulfill that would be the Flavians. In any case, Domitian, the third of the Flavians, did not like this Christian. He did not participate in the Jewish wars like his brother and father did. And so he began to persecute members of his own family for adopting Jewish ways. We know his cousin, Flavius Clemens, the father of his appointed heirs, was executed for adopting Jewish ways. And his wife, Domitilla, was exiled. Uh, this is, in my view, St. Clement of Rome, um, no less, a member of the Flavian family. We have in Philippians, Paul himself, uh, talking about his total access to everyone in the Imperial Guard. Uh, he talks about uh, greetings from members in Caesar's household in Rome. He's talking about a guy named Epaphroditus, who was a high-ranking, politically powerful freedman for, from, for the emperors from Nero through Domitian, who was executed by Domitian. Domitian executed Clemens. He executed Epaphroditus. He probably had Josephus banished. So after the crackdown on uh, this pro-Roman Christianity within the Flavian movement, it was sort of up for grabs by later emperors. They didn't know quite what to do with this movement. And so by the second century, it stratified into a variety of contradictory forms of Christianity, Gnosticism, uh, a variety of Gnosticisms just in itself, uh, for example. But uh, uh, 
no. Uh, Christianity is a far more pro, and it, the key words here are compared to what? For Roman tastes, Christianity is vastly more palatable than Judaism. That's why Judaism never became the official religion of the Roman Empire. It fits so well with the Romans that it could become the official religion of the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire could be venerated by Christians as a holy thing, the Holy Roman Empire, until the time of Napoleon, whereas anti-Semitism was sort of baked into the cake. So uh, w one thing I'd like to dig into here is the you, you seem to be um, discarding a lot of sources and, and disbelieving them on the basis of, of having mixed motives um, w whenever it's inconvenient. I, I think it's mostly it's just important yeah. to point out that the, this is... That is yeah, it, you, it seems you are kind of source shopping here. I mean, even the anti-Semitism part, I mean, well, let's not get into that. I mean, I'm sure people in the chat have... Like this, the, the, the level of historical skepticism that you're applying to these texts would mean that we would know almost nothing about history if you applied the same sort of, you know, so well, you've got let's, sources... Let's remember, Tacitus is also writing, Tacitus Suetonius, the same yeah. sources, right? I'll take Tacitus Suetonius, for example. There's only two. I can name like four other ones. They're both talking about Titus, or I'm sorry, Flavius, going into Egypt and Samaria, giving offering to the local gods there. So Vespasian, in, in one account, is in Samaria, giving offering to a local god there, and then healing blind people and dumb people. Then he's going over to Egypt, giving offering to Serapis, healing blind and dumb people there. This is, this is on two secular accounts. Should we believe that's true? Or do we just take, we have to be skeptical about these? I have no doubt the Emperor Vespasian lived. I have no, I don't question the sources when they say do, that he claimed to be the do, Jewish. Do you Messiah. think that Jesus was that crucified? Uh, I, in creating Christ, we take no position on historicism. We regard that as a relatively unimportant question. It is the highest apologization like, of Jesus in the Gospels that made the. That's a, I mean, that's a fairly key question, isn't it? Well, I, I tend to be, a, if you ask my personal opinion, uh, I tend to be a historicist. I think the, that the crucifixion is something that the early writers are wrestling with in such a uh, difficult, strenuous way uh, that I think it was something, a fact that they couldn't get around. Right. And they sort of, sort of had to explain away in the passion narrative. So you the, do, so you do think Jesus was crucified. I was probably a violent uh, nationalist, violence advocating, Torah Orthodox rebel. The debate between Paul and the earlier Christians in Galatians has suggested, at least to many scholars, if not most, that the pre-Pauline Christians were Torah Orthodox, uh, and this would imply that any historical Jesus was Torah Orthodox, so we can throw out all that uh, yeah. I want I want to add a possible exception to this, uh, something that I was talking about with Neil before, where Neil mentioned that there was this passage in the Talmud talking what that they ended up getting rid of for fear of persecution. The Jews, I mean, this passage in the Talmud talking about specifically this uh, character that would be named Jesus, who was spreading all kinds of Egyptian uh, mysticism around, and the Jews did not take so kindly to that. And I wonder, Neil, would you be able to add anything uh, to that as well? Yeah, no, the Talmud has has accounts, and they mention that their sources are from the first century, from the school of Hillel, from Gamaliel, from, um, what's his name? Uh, Rabbi Eliezer ben Harkinus. And these are the sources that they're telling that are bringing that, that are getting coming down to the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud, and they both state that the Jesus of Nazareth, 
who had a father named Pantera, a Roman soldier, by the way, uh, was hanged on Passover Eve and was killed for leaving Israel astray. And yeah, they have an account of this. There is a historical, I believe this historically actually, ha I believe this account actually happened. Love, if it was well, a copyright, we could play Walk by Pantera right now. <laughs> <laughs> probably more productive. Than, uh, but no, but you mentioned about um, healing people and this, of course. Well, well, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, before the healing. The point. That doesn't contradict the point about uh, well, no, be, we're, we're going to get to the healing. Kind of, we're going to get to the healing, but before that, I wanted to get James's. I wanted to get. I mean, James's. there was many soothsayers that claimed that they healed the dumb and the blind. Right, which is, which is why we should be skeptical of these sources. That's exactly, all. Exactly. Exactly. We know. But again, you're going back to the basic point <laughs> that you're claiming that an amalgamation is. Uh, I don't know about that, bro. I mean, this sounds like some Zek guy shit to me. I mean, it's just... Well, but no. the point about Luke, do you want to jump in here, man? I'll give... Oh, make a good point. Healing miracles Vespasian is reported to have performed by Suetonius and Tacitus are identical to healing miracles that Jesus performed. Mud to cure blindness, spittle to cure blindness, touching of the... to cure the withered hand, so forth. They're so like Jesus' miracles that this conjunction between Serapis, a Jesus-like mystery god, Vespasian's claim to be the Jewish Messiah and performing healing miracles identical to Jesus, probably reported before any of the Gospels are actually written, are all significant. Now, the story about Jesus being the son of a Roman soldier, uh, the Talmud is very much opposed to the idea of Jesus as God. And so it is really. Oh, yeah, they think that Jesus is burning in oil and excrement. So and and probably... it's ridicule of the virgin birth. It's ridicule of Jesus's claims of divinity, which you'd expect from a Jewish source, involves what? The suggestion that it comes from a Roman soldier. Now, I think that's a later observation. Uh, these are later sources, Celsus and the Talmud. So I do believe that it refers to a historical figure, and I, but I think that they're later enough to be influenced by Christian sources and ridiculing Christian sources about the virgin birth. And so Celsus and the Talmud, however, are putting in a very interesting clue they're saying that his father's a Roman soldier. So from the Jewish perspective, it's a Roman thing, or at least a Roman hybrid thing, is what we're being told allegorically. I don't mm. necessarily believe literally the Pantera thing. I think the sources there are too late, and I can hear the motive in the, in Celsus and the Talmud trying to undermine the virgin birth story. Mm. Did, did you concede um, standard dating of, of texts like 1 Corinthians? Um, you, 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 you seem I'm, to suggest I'm that that was reasonable. Skeptical. I'm growing skeptical of the standard dating of the authentic Pauline epistles. But in Creating Christ, we certainly went with the standard dating of, of Paul's letters uh, anywhere from the late 40s through the 50s and the early 60s. Which would mean that these texts represent a very early version of what you see as a, a, a morphing version of the of the story. But, but those texts include a, a very high Christology and and lots of features which would be surprising um, to to have come about at, at, at such an early date, because those people would have remembered Jesus, been able to talk to people who were claiming to be eyewitnesses, check whether the things being claimed were, were actually checked out. So, how how Wait, can how? you? What do you mean they can check? So, so they're talking about a cloud of witnesses around. You know, his five hundred eyewitnesses Paul talks about, and this is. This is like in the 60s when he's writing this. So he's, we're talking about like 30 years later. Who are, who are these eyewitnesses? Not one of them is mentioned. Well, how do we people know? who were spreading the early Christianity would have been, look, 
James, you, you wanted to get in. <laughs> Look, there are people who were very much alive and knew uh, George Washington when Parson Weems was selling a, a thick body of mythology about George Washington, the cherry tree and so forth, a whole body of myths about George Washington were written and believed by people within the lifetime of people who knew George Washington and knew better. Or take, uh, to use a more, going from the sublime to the ridiculous, more recently, the actor Richard Gere, uh, uh, a friend of mine was with the discussion brought this up, the gerbil in his behind story. <laughs> but Richard Gere is still alive. So of course, within the lifetime of people, utterly mythological things can, can uh, be said about them. That doesn't... Uh, do do the, the people... I'm, the, well, I'm curious, though... Tons of people sorry, objected ahead, to sorry, Paul, by the way. Tons of people objected to Paul and said, this is ridiculous. Yeah, by the Paul way... obviously I, had fierce well, enemies. Hold on. This is, this like, is a big deal. Hold on. His own movement, say something. Paul had fierce enemies. Hold on a second. Oh, 500 oh, eyewitnesses, right? 500 yeah. eyewitnesses. Okay. So we're talking about, let's say, the third... You just say the year 30, all right? Let's just be right around there. 30, 31 AD. Okay. Okay. 500 eyewitnesses. From, from from the time that happens to the time Paul writes this, you have Pliny the, Pliny the Elder writing an entire encyclopedia about about prodigal births, about miracles, about deified people, not mentions Jesus once, doesn't even know who he is. You have probably 50 writers in the Roman Empire. I would but, say but, was, 50, but Pliny was literally tasked to go and persecute the Christians. No, Pliny the Younger, yeah. not Pliny the Elder. That's oh, in the second big, century. Us as an assumption, like as, okay. no, as Cruz said, Jesus is all of his hair is a huge is assumption a, there have, too. As this well. is important what you just said. Because if you, had, if you had 500 eyewitnesses from that time to the time of Paul, why doesn't anyone else except for Paul remember this? Why has everyone forgot? All of a sudden, Paul. Oh yeah, by the way, five hundred eyewitnesses. Right. right. Wait, wait. wait are you saying you, you're saying that there should be earlier sources than, than yes. thirty years after the oh, event? Five hundred eyewitnesses. In two thousand years ago, you're expecting sources quicker well, than thirty yeah. years. Four sources That's for Caesar. Encyclopedia. What's the earliest source? Hold on, hold on a second. When you have an encyclopedia written by Pliny the Elder, when he's focusing on that area of the world, he's writing. Was largely mythologized. He's writing about the Essenes. He's writing about prodigal births. He's writing about deified people like Julius Caesar. Augustus being called son of God. All these miracles that happen that he's supposedly hearing about that he doesn't believe in. And he's being critical of these things. Where's just, where's Christianity? It's nowhere to be found in that book. Because they didn't, he didn't know about it yet. It was so small at that time. Paul, the, by the time the, they... Paul, did they refer to themselves as Christians at that time? No. Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, there isn't any other historical event... Uh, of that age that has that many sources that close to the event that are yeah. justifying it it's not close there's hundreds and hundreds of times what do you mean alexander the great alexander the great you can follow in the chat wait one at a time i think james and gnostic are both too excited to talk about this so one at a time over here okay let's look into alexander let me ask one thing james you seem to be a talmudic fundamentalist here so what is it within judaism that is so fundamental mentally adverse to the Roman project as opposed to Christianity because did not Christianity if you're claiming that it's a Roman psyop did it not breach the containment and kind of consume the pagan world as a whole as oh, opposed to Judaism I wanted to address that earlier you made that point okay, uh, yes, I go am ahead. totally down with Edward Gibbon and I absolutely believe that Christianity helped bring down the classical world but that was not the intention no one imagined in the first century 
that in fact, if it weren't Christianity that had taken over the Roman Empire, I'm pretty sure some other version of Neoplatonic mysticism would have. Uh, and I think that in any form would have destroyed classical civilization. It is the mysticism, the rank mysticism of, of it. And the it's the combination of knowledge. Polytheists could be much more tolerant like the Romans were. When Christianity takes over the Roman Empire, intolerance comes down. We not only have to wipe out the pagans and make that illegal, we have to, within 100 years, paganism is made illegal. And we ha that has to be utterly destroyed. But even heretical versions of Christianity, Pelagianism and so forth, have to be wiped out. So mm -hmm. monotheism brings a religious, let me finish. But monotheism brings a religious intolerance. Then that is critical to bringing down the free thought comparatively free thought of scientific and philosophical minds in the class. Oh, oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, you forgot to insert the Jigga Chat image there. Uh, um, no, 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 this myth that Christianity destroyed science. I mean, the reason you have these pagan texts is because of Christianity. Greek ideas, Come on. Were, <laughs> Greek ideas you know? were going to undermine oh. uh, Greek and Roman ideas ultimately were what undermined Greco-Roman civilization. So it's nothing, so it's not from without According to it's, it's, yeah, it's it's been, yeah. within that's eating. See, and for political reasons, Romans didn't want, want, want were seeking a, a unification, a cultural unification of their empire under one religion. So they too were looking for a monotheistic way of unifying the religion, whether it was Saul Invictus or adopted. But but in, in adopting it, of course, it helped destroy the classical world. I totally agree with the general thesis of Edward Gibbon. Okay, so it's it, it, but it was an accident. No one could have foreseen in the first century that these Neoplatonic ideas would destroy classical civilization. At the end of the but day, a, but another claim you make in your other video, you claim that when it comes to Roman law in particular, when it comes to rather moralism of Christianity, you have a very, I would say, um, Randian libertarian uh, view of things, and I think that maybe you're adverse to Christianity because of what you perceive as some growth of collectivism or so forth. Let me dispel the myth right away that Christianity is in somehow this like neo-gnostic life-denying thing that comes largely from Frederick Nietzsche, that it's on the decline because it's denial of the earth. Uh, Christianity, of course, has within it an expression of a supreme love and a careship and stewardship of concerns of the earth, both politically, ecologically, and so forth. And I think that it's a huge generalization that both pagans and atheists nowadays make to claim that somehow uh, Christianity, well, you know, it's all Neoplatonic and they hate the earth and, you know, let's pretend that Aristotle doesn't exist. And uh, But beyond that, the central claim that, uh, well, I guess it breached the containment in some respects, yes, but in other respects, like every civilization, Rome was on, like as you even said, was on its way out to begin with. So there's a problematization in the terms of was Christianity the specific cause? I'm just setting it up because that tended to be the atheistic argument against Christianity from the Enlightenment that, you know, it destroyed the Roman Empire. But I'm saying that there was much more nuanced causes there than just Christianity. So to sort of wet its decline solely to Rome. So at one end, you're saying that Christianity is a cancer to the Roman Empire, but it's also, you know, I guess like cancer because, you know, it comes from cells, blah, blah, blah. It's the cancer that Rome created for itself. And to me, it just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, they could have pacified the Jews in other ways without this elaborate mythos that they created that ultimately destroyed them, supposedly. They're not going to turn Messianic Jews into pagans. They have to redirect their religion into a pacifistic uh, track. They're never going to convert them to paganism. And besides, you, you know, in 
immunology and diseases, you make a great comparison here. When we get a virus, it's typically not the virus itself that kills us, say the fever that kills us, our own body's reaction. And so this is the, the analogy I would draw. Christianity was sort of a fever created by Rome to kill the infection of the Jewish rebellion. And it was that fever that caught up with them and took over and took them out. Something totally unintended, an unintended consequence. My main objection to Christianity is not a political one. It is, a, 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 my main objection is to any religion and mysticism. Oh. Reason can acquire truth, uh, in my view. Any non-rational means of knowledge uh, is invalid from my perspective. And so it's much deeper. Now you asked about the anti-worldly nature of Christianity. It is utterly bizarre to think that Christianity had anything to do with life on earth. Be it, if you're a slave and you have a harsh slave master, says Paul, great, it's a salvation opportunity. Enjoy the fact that you're suffering here on earth because that'll get you points in the afterlife because the first will be the last and the last will be the first. That's a very kind of rarefied <laughs> view of it, but that's about not the, that's not exactly what Paul <laughs> meant though. I mean like or may I finish? The okay, poor go ahead, go ahead. Are ones. Blessed are the poor. Fortunate are the poor. Blessed are you when you're persecuted and executed. Martyrdom is a goal. You don't commit suicide of course, but hooray, martyrdom. Now that could, if you say, don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about what you wear, don't mind if you're a slave, be grateful if you have a harsh slave master. It's not about the kingdom, this kingdom, it's about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over. Poverty is a wonderful thing. Slavery is cool. Accept it. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about you. Love your enemies, which is the destruction of the concept of love. It annihilates any real love. The, the morality of Christianity, and it's not the politics, it's the ethics of Christianity, which is a perverse to common sense on the face of it. Love your enemy, submit to the evildoer, turn the other cheek. No, sir. Like well, turn the other cheek was a metaphor. Morally it wasn't equipped. It wasn't meant to say yeah. literally turn the other uh, cheek. I want to I wanna get to I Luke mean, as well right now. Okay. Okay. No, no, wait, before okay. I get to Luke, okay. I just want to say that it seems that this is every fedora tipping stereotype of Christianity all at once. To say, where does it say in Christianity, either from Aquinas to Augustine to St. Francis, that says we can't ameliorate the problems on this earth? That's well, the, the fundamental says, claim. Augustine says simple self-defense is a sin. He takes turn the other cheek literally. It's self-love. If someone's coming at you with a knife, a crazy person, I'm going to kill you, kill you, kill you. You got to just suck it up says Augustine, otherwise your love where, of- Where, where? I, I don't recall that. In, in Go check Augustine. it out. Uh, it was not until a quiet, huh, you should do him over. Oh, it was but also Augustine was 6th century. century. That reasonable self-defense was allowed to Christian laity. But but Jesus said, think that not that I've come to send peace on earth, I came not bring to bring peace, but a sword. But so yes, by the 6th century, maybe it's been reinterpreted as a- whoever, And he also said, whoever picks up the sword shall die by the sword. A ridiculous assertion. Many people who use weapons or initiate force die of natural causes. But obviously, you're saying anyone who picks up the sword shall die by the sword. Burn the other cheek. No, when he but says, again, this I, is your, this is the problem with this materialistic worldview that you've adopted is that you don't have any metaphor or poetics in what you're asserting. These are very poetical phrases. They don't. Well, pretty straightforward. Turn the other cheek. It's quite clear. Uh, go the extra mile. Oh, for the well, okay, clear. okay. I want to hear what Geo actually. Uh, James, I do want to hear what Geo has to say regarding the metaphors. So, Geo, you have the time right now. You have the floor. Just talk about the metaphors. Then James's response. Then Luke. 
it was never meant to be interpreted literally. Turn the other cheek was when um, a Christian is facing um, largely Roman persecution. Um, it's meant to be a sort of tongue-in-cheek phraseology. It's not meant to say literally, you know, and, and in terms of love thy enemy as thyself, again, this is another um, mixed metaphor. It doesn't mean literally love who is persecuting. There are many Christian scholars and regimes throughout history who have been very active in routing out the evils of the world, even Paul himself. I mean, on the one end, it seems you're accusing him of this great anti-Semitism and intolerance and turning people into, I believe in your stream, you said eunuchs. But on the other end, you're saying that Christianity is some kind of hippy-dippy project when the reality of it is that historically, at least, this has never been the case. There's always been a case for things such as a Christian defense of nationalism and so forth and um, the sort of active routing out of what is a literal cancer upon the social body, which is sin and the denial of logos. I mean, that is the whole project of Christianity is the purification of the self and of, you know, I, I don't understand this sort of like turning him into a hippie sort of thing. It's funny you bring up the, the, the metaphor of eunuch that Jesus uses. Become a eunuch for the kingdom if you can, uh, Jesus says, which seems to echo Paul's, you know, be celibate if you can, but if you can't you contain it in marriage. Uh, so it's this, I talk about anti-earthly, be a celibate if you can. That is anti-live happy on this earth, just like the anti-money stuff. Uh, is but uh, Origen, the famous Christian writer, actually castrated himself, according to tradition, in front of his students. He took that quite literally, sir. No, these this material was taken quite literally, and I urge it's you to go back to read Augustine on self-defense, and then read how how Thomas Aquinas, only in the 13th century, said that reasonable self-defense wasn't self-love. No, they took this stuff quite literally. Let's read what it the says for context. That they've turned Christianity in effect oh, on... Wait, I think, Luke, you want to jump in there? Oh, I'm happy to hear the, the quote from Neil. Yeah, I want to... because we want, let's, get, let's get the context for what it is. He says that you have heard... This is Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is referring to the Torah. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you in service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Give to the one who asked for you and do not turn your back on the one who wants to borrow. You have heard it is said, you shall love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and that you may be children of the heavenly father for he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so from Augustine to the Amish, to the Shakers, to you name it, people have taken that quite literally. Go the extra mile is saying obey Roman law. Romans had a law that said you had to support the Roman army within the milestones within which you live. It is focused on the law, too. It's yeah. So it's literally quoting the Torah. Roman well, let's get a reply from It's quite funny Luke. because yeah. um, when, when I was at university what, t 10 years ago or whatever, um, all, all of the new atheist buzz was about how religion was this force for violence. Um, so it's it's quite funny to now be being attacked because Jesus is not pagan enough, not kind of aggressive enough. Um, so I, I think it's it's clear that your motivation for pursuing this topic, um, at least the, the reason you were interested in um, looking into it, not necessarily the conclusions you drew, is because you have this strong distaste for the Christian 
morality that emerged. Um, but I'm more interested in the factual questions of of, of what actually happened oh, rather no, it's than connected. it's intimately connected. It is Go absurd on. to say love your enemy. It is anti-human and anti this world to say turn the other cheek. It is immoral in my mind. So it's your ethical true. conclusions are informing your historiography. Common sense, but it needs some kind of explanation. It, if they are intimately connected, then that means you're not pursuing truth in it, 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 it solely. It just seems to me that a, that a morality that extreme in its pacifism, and that could be interpreted by everyone from Augustine to the Amish and Shakers as strict pacifism, uh, yeah, very clearly to me, would needs explanation. Why should I suck it up when my when the evildoer is beating me up? Why should yeah, I suck so, it up like Gandhi? Do you realize that pray for your enemy is sort of like it's not. Uh, it's it's in order to uh, elicit a proper response of justice. This is typical church just warfare. It's not, it, to pray for your enemies is to say that I do not welcome this persecution, but ultimately my persecution is part of the greater sort of coming into the realization of logos throughout history. I mean, the Christians they they push back throughout history. I mean, come on, hand them your shirt too. Get beat up, suck it up, give up this so, life. It seems that you're kind of having to defend a, a quite uh, hedonic order of things in terms of what you value as. Well, I know you're you're a big fan I'm of Ayn Rand. Um, I'm not what, but I do what, believe in practical life on Earth, and that people should have a right of reasonable self-defense, and that loving your enemy destroys the concept of love, and that such notions that fly in the face of obvious common sense need some kind of historical explanation. Who would be advocating such a bizarrely extreme version of suck it up and take it for the next life? Because it wasn't like Gandhi. They didn't want to overthrow the British Raj. What they, Jesus was saying, it's all about the other life. It's about getting along with the Roman Empire. He said of a Roman centurion, not just a Roman, mind you, in this age of rebellion, but of a Roman centurion that his faith exceeded that of any Jew. Mm. Any Jew. There was a comment uh, earlier from a fallen student who says St. Justin was literally martyred for his teachings in the Roman Empire. Right. I'm perfectly willing to believe that a wide variety of Christians were sporadically persecuted throughout mm. the Roman Empire. And then there is this idea. Like I mentioned earlier, like I mentioned earlier, you got to remember that the Roman Empire and the Senate and the the elitists were very divided. It wasn't just one unit that agreed on everything. Jews were divided. Look at Democrats and Republicans now. Just multiply that by a hundred and add a bunch of wars. But I don't get it. You're claiming that Christianity is the perfect religion of Roman Imperium, and yet at the same time you're claiming that Christianity is some kind of Jainist religion. I mean, that doesn't exactly make sense. Is Christianity the handmaiden of empire, or is it rather some kind of hippy-dippy um, abidharmic practice? I don't know. It's, it's Well, I think, it's, I think right. that the, the political agenda is just as obvious in its co historical context as its theological agenda was. And so... I think there are a mixture of motives. I think there's a variety of Christians and Christianities. I think Christianity took off in a large, wide variety of directions uh, that developed. Why do, you, why do you think there was a civil war between Constantine and, and uh, what, uh, Granic what is his name, Granicus? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, think about it. There, there was uh, civil so wars happening. Let's get, a, let's get Luke in here. Luke, yeah, I, sorry. Um, I, I had a question. So if Jesus died as a violent in insurrectionist, which I think you have to say because you think he was crucified and you don't think he would be crucified by the Romans unless he was leading some sort of Jewish revolt. The Romans Why? Would... Sorry? 
that give him a platform. <laughs> but but you, you said earlier in the debate that you thought he'd been, he was a violent insurrectionist. Yes. If you, uh, historically, a historical Jesus, the one thing we maybe could know with some confidence, if there was a historical Jesus, is that he was crucified. Crucified probably right. in the reign of Pilate as governor. I mean, I've heard people say that the, the crucifixion Roman of Jesus is the most attested historical fact in antiquity. Um, so it's, it, it'd be like insane for you to deny that that happened. No. But then you have to conclude that he must have been a, a violent it is insurrectionist. It's certainly not the case that the death of Jesus is the, one of the most historically. <laughs> so you claim that, for example, later you claim that Oregon well, was a scarce. He literally was excommunicated from the church. That's another you, point of contention. I mean, some debate. However, I'm willing to believe that um, it's more likely than not that there was a Jesus who was crucified. If so, so rebel. He, if so, he must have been a rebel. Okay, so yeah, we're, we're there. So then how did the followers of Jesus mutate over less than 30 years from following a violent anti-Roman rebel to oh. being a pro-Roman group who are writing a script that becomes them very politically useful in uniting Roman Judaism? This is a night and day the 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 same that's where paul comes who, in that's where paul comes ferocious in. angry debate in galatians between paul and the leaders of his own movement reading it in greek you even get the sense of the vicious anger the epistle I mean, of paul, james the epistle of james he's like you ignoramus it's not about works yeah so you think that, those things no, no there's no question that paul had a fierce disagreement with the leadership okay. of his own movement and was taking it in radically different directions yeah and over circumcision, eating with uh, uh, foreigners, and that suggests that the things that Paul is arguing for, are and has to argue for, are probably things that he contributed. Now, Paul, of course, insists. He got but then the, it's no just man. patently absurd to think that Paul could arrive at a group who disagree with him on everything and then start a successful religion in that's, that crowd. That's yeah, exactly what happened. That's exactly. I quite, what happened. I quite but that, I That's quite a ridiculous thing to claim. Why, why is that ridiculous? <laughs> Why is that ridiculous? You got Paul, you got Paul who's who's traveling all over Turkey and Greece, and you got the you got the their, their original Christian cult in Jerusalem, and they're just that's where they are. They they don't move anywhere from there. Paul's and reporting that his Paul's, being Paul's moving all over the Roman Empire. Oh, and in fact, kind of response Paul gets a violent. He's reaction. doing his world tour as a kayfabe heel. Uh, you know, he's putting Rome over. But Paul, we say this. Look, if you wouldn't do Christianity. Paul sold Christianity and James didn't for a reason because of oh. read Paul's epistles, read Romans, read Galatians, talk about liberty over being bondage, talk about eh, if they sacrifice me to idols, who cares? Just don't ask. Don't ask. Don't <laughs> so tell. you think that James's texts were written as a part of the ongoing literature following an anti-Roman insurrectionist. Oh, no. And yet James, his message is pretty much in line James with what Paul is saying. Too. The pre-Paul Jewish Christian rebel view may be reflected in the Epistle of James. Martin Luther didn't even want the Epistle of James to be in the New Testament canon. Others, the other book. It's, it's such a contradiction to Paul in the Gospel. Yeah, it really does. Well, I, cha I challenge anybody yeah, to read James so, and then to read Corinthians. Wait, wait, hold on. One at a time, fellas, fellas. One at a time. How is it contradicting Corinthians, though? How is James specifically Here, you want me to tell you? Let me tell you. I'll show you right now. Paul, uh, James 2, 14, talks about faith and works. And he says that he says in, in a couple couple of verses I'm looking for the exact word I just had to pull it up. He says that for faith without works is dead. He's referring mm -hmm. to Paul talking about it's just all about faith. Works is nothing. 
There's a, there's a, that's a fundamental disagreement in the text that you can literally point to. But Paul was doing the work of evangelizing. That is but, considered works with, at least well, in Catholicism. But also, I, mean, I think I'm not saying this is. This is. Wait, 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 wait. You, so many people talking. All right, I gotta be a moderator. I gotta be the Janny over here. I'm turning the Janny back on here. I gotta be the Janny over here, and I gotta say that Luke, we gotta get more from Luke. So Luke, uh, thank you. Go for it. Yeah, I, and I've probably only got five minutes left. Um, so, so sorry, everybody. Um, I, I, I think it's um, the faith versus works debate is a hot theological topic amongst Christians, but the scale of disagreement that you're suggesting that should exist between James and Paul is just not reflected when you read the texts. They are remarkably similar philosophies and only amongst people who are uh, like myopically focused on finding little points of theological difference does this tiny point matter but what you would expect from a work from james if he was following this jewish insurrectionist would be rah-rah israel let's overthrow the romans which we and which he could have written down and just didn't get past it why would they preserve yeah. that paul so, wouldn't preserve that let luke finish let luke finish it's very possible that James. Well, that, was, oh, I thought you were talking about me. No, no. Let the yeah, sure, Luke, go for it. I, I, I want to make sure you get a uh, you get everything <laughs> I, out. I also wasn't clear. Well. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, it it just it, it's uh, every time um, there's a suggestion that something about the Bible doesn't fit with the um, the story that we're hearing from from James, then the suggestion is that the, there's been modifications and changes whenever there's an external source that that seems to counter to his points then there's the suggestion that that person also was was biased or or, or lying so it's it, it's it's quite tricky to pin pin down but the the basic point is that the new testament holds together as a cohesive um single new as you say i mean you, you've you've made the point which i think is un unusual for critics of the new testament that it's a very surprising text for for jewish minds to come up with i think it's also completely outside of a roman mindset so that which is why you described it as being extremely sophisticated so a different way of saying sophisticated <laughs> would be difficult to explain how this appeared um, and 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 your explanation, I think, has some very big holes in it, such as there was no explanation for why Christianity was a why were people still caring about Jesus if he was just one of many similar messiahs until Paul showed up, and then how did was Paul able to mutate this existing group to a diametrically opposite position and still maintain some of the text, some continuity of, te of text. Um, so well, I, I guess that might be my last um, contribution to this debate. Um, but but uh, I, I, I've been very, um, I've very much enjoyed me too. chatting. Me and too. I, uh, you know, too. This, was, this was lovely, Luke. Let's, let's have other yeah. conversations in the future. Absolutely. Yes, and do, do, um, do, yeah, perhaps you could uh, come on my channel sometime. The, yeah, Luke, come on uh, my channel anytime yeah. you want. Oh, amazing. Anytime. Oh, really? Thank you so much, really. <laughs> Great. Thank um, you. And everybody, everybody follow Luke <laughs> at uh, Lambda. <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> at I am Lambda. Go, yeah, go. I t tell you what, I'll, I'll I'll stick around for another couple of minutes because I feel bad oh. just saying a load of stuff and then 
disappearing. But I but I will say I will say goodbye and then I'll quietly drop out of the stream. <laughs> the uh, Irish exit, as it were, even though yes. you're English. But yes. Look, the evidence in Galatians shows that uh, Paul's new ideas were forming a violent, fierce opposition within his movement. You, it, throughout his letters, he's constantly having to tap, tap down people going back to some previous message, people disagreeing with his message, people of different schools that he's fighting against. For, in one hand, he's screaming bloody murders, condemning outright, saying that James and Kephas are damned in Galatians. And I don't care that they're pillars or who the heck they are. They're wrong, wrong, wrong. And so he's got a, a fierce, violent argument going on with the leaders of his own community. So, and it's and if Acts, the tradition in Acts, is at all true, then it's causing a violent response among Jews and the Torah Orthodox. And that is exactly the sort of response that you'd imagine if Paul did try to pull off such a radical change. We have evidence of exactly that kind of negative response. Now, once the Jewish war happens, if Paul is in fact infiltrating the messianic rebel movement or a major faction of it, then of course they've been mostly wiped out. After the first Jewish war, Paul has free reign and it also changes the political structure of the situation. We've lost. We now need some kind of explanation for how it is God didn't come to our rescue and didn't help us win the war. Now we need to explain how Paul how it didn't win the war and New Testament has the answer for us. So before the leadership is the James and Kephas leadership is to, uh, totally taken out by the Jewish war. Yeah, success is, is going to be very problematic. Afterwards, it's going to be a whole lot easier. And more than that, we see in the Paul, Pauline letters and in the tradition in Acts that Paul's mission did stimulate a total and violent opposition from the entire leadership of his movement. He was hounded by Jewish opponents, probably within his own movement from front to end. He was a divisive element a powerfully divisive element who could not have succeeded until after the war had wiped out in effect the rebel leadership of the messianic movement that he uh, was uh, infiltrating. All right, I, I'm off now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be my answer. <laughs> wow. um, now, did it ha was it fully successful? I think only partially so, but I think there was amazing psychological shell shock after the war. And I think Jews, even pious Jews, were looking for a religious explanation for why it was God did not come to the side of his chosen people and fulfill the messianic prophecies and lead them to victory. So I think many pious messianic Jews were looking for a for a religious and even psychological explanation for this and were uh, so psychologically traumatized that at least some of them would find this appealing. Let me jump in for a second, if I may. Sure. Because I think this is, I think there's one small thing that I do disagree on Valiant with, and maybe I, maybe I can bring this up to sort of break the ice a little bit. Um, I would say that this did start as a real Jesus following movement to begin with. I think that it got co-opted later on, maybe in later first century or early second, maybe a little bit later than you think, James, but I'm not sure what you think about that. No, I agree. I think that it... Uh... Like I say, I th at this point in my thinking, I think it's more likely than not there was a historical Jesus. The yeah. one fact we probably can't get around it <laughs> is that he was crucified. There was a messianic movement that was around him. And I do believe that messianic movement pre-existed uh, uh, the, uh, the war and that that's the movement that Paul is sort of trying to hijack and put into a new onto a new track, a new path. Uh, I think he had mixed success. <laughs> so in that, I, I, I don't agree. I, I think, don't think he had trouble success. I think but I think it was a co-opting. 
I think what makes him so special compared to like J- Judas of Galilee and Simon of Perea is I think Jesus probably get, did get some predictions right. Like for one, he probably predicted the temple falling. He could have he, that could have been the one thing he got right, and that would be a big deal. That would be big enough to get people to say, "Oh my God, he was the Messiah." Well, let me suggest that a G, that well, Josephus reports. Well, I don't know. He just changed world history. I mean, that's kind of well. That's I what, mean, what other prophet that's, has. That's what I'm trying to get at. Is he had to have done something to separate himself from Simon of Perea, Judas right. Kelly, mm. all these other dime a dozen preachers. I, I, just to get the title Christ, for example, right? right? He had to do something at least at, at some point before the war. At least mm. at some period, he was known as the Christ. I think. Yeah. And that meant he was a messianic leader, probably of the earthly type, and that's why the Romans crucified him. <laughs> is there is there also any argument, by the way, as far as the dating of the let's say destruction of the temple to when Jesus was uh, crucified to when that prediction was made? Would there be any anything that you could say that maybe the Romans intentionally made the dates this way in order to have it be as if Jesus predicted the destruction well, very, of the temple? That, that is a very very interesting point. Now the Josephus tells us about a guy named Jesus who predicted the destruction of the temple. Only he didn't live back in, in the 20s and 30s. He lived in the 60s. It yeah. was just before the war. And he was saying, woe to Jerusalem, uh, you're predicting the temple. And he uh, was arrested, scourged. For seven years. Yeah, seven years earlier. And then a ballista and a big rock smashes a rock. And then he says, woe to me, and then dies. Yeah, woe to me is his last prediction. But so his name I, was Jesus, I, yeah. So I think the basic idea of a Jesus who predicted the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem existed, but probably more proximate to the war itself, which makes better sense as a reasonable prediction. When you look at Mark 13 and the versions of the Jesus apocalypse in the Synoptic Gospels, those are far too detailed to not have been written any earlier than 70 AD, in my view, and in the view of many scholars. He predicts things such as not one stone left on another for the temple, or armies being seen in the skies. And Josephus reports just exactly that, armies being seen in the skies above the siege of Jerusalem. So the perfect predict, the details that Jesus gives us at Mark 13 for the destruction of Jerusalem are perfectly matched in Josephus's description, too perfectly to have me credibly believe that uh, Mark 13 could have been written before mm-hmm. 70. I want to get uh, Gio in on this. Now, Gio, you've got the floor, buddy. I don't, well, let me ask you one thing. Uh, I'm not that familiar with that form of scholarship. I wish Gravantis would have come in. But let me ask you, what is your basis for claiming that you said that reason is your moral guide? Where does reason come from, in order, from, in your opinion? Uh, reason is the uh, mode of human consciousness, an evolved tool of survival, just like your stomach or just like the uh, consciousness of other animals. The eyesight of eagles is its tool, tool of survival. The smell of a dog is its tool of survival. Our mode of cognition, our conceptual abstract method of cognition is reason. Uh, knowledge cannot be acquired arbitrarily. The fact that an idea pops into your head like elf, unicorn, does not oblige reality to contain elves or unicorns. You have to connect it, and you have to connect it by a causal means that can actually connect you to reality. I know how sense perception does that, I, and it connects me to reality, and I know how logic keeps me connected to reality. So any pseudo means of, of knowledge, mysticism, whether it's a Ouija board, a horoscope, mystical revelations, a crystal ball, tea leaves, uh, some unverifiable experience, I reject all that. The only mm-hmm. means of knowledge beyond sense perception is a rigorous logical analysis of the material provided by observation. That is the only means of knowledge. It is therefore humanity's most fundamental tool of survival. And therefore, but yet, but yet we have 
the things think? that go beyond sense perception govern oh, yeah. our lives all the time, including various conjectures. Now, you can't phenomenologically correlate the mind and what is the experiencer of reality. You oh, can't I physically I put no a knowledge. shape to that quali. I reject any notion of this is just like knowledge. Daniel Dennett, like compute computational type of. Yeah, no, I reject. Well, I reject uh, the entire uh, course of epistemology by modern philosophy. It is marred in religion, and that's what got it off to a wrong footing, in my view. No, I. I but how is evolution alone the basis of reason, land, though? Look, we land on the moon on a dime every time. We split invisible atoms to release the power of stars. Reason is a powerful tool for actually gaining knowledge. And conceptual knowledge, if it's valid, is only grounded in observation and must be reducible to observation, or it is not valid. So all conceptual abstract knowledge, in order to be valid, must be reduced to the uh, evidence of observation. That's what science is. I don't but know yet, if people are able to live like that, though, if we're talking about no, the wait, reason... No, let me finish. Let me, okay. let me ask you, okay. then. How can you base the... How can you make an argument that reason as we understand it and human cognition, as we understand it comes purely from a material means of evolutionary history. And, and what do you think is the way in which those various properties that are largely inanimate can come about and even our experience of them through human cognition is entirely material. How would you get that is to the odd? Well, I think that evolution, it's natural. I'm, I am a believer in natural selection, although I don't think it's necessary to the philosophical case. But in but terms we'll, of developing reason and where reason comes from. Well, when plants move toward the light, right, they're not conscious yet, but they're reacting to their environment. They're reacting to the light they need to do phototropism and survive. So whether you go from the simplest form of the beginnings of consciousness, phototropism, all the way up to you know humans developing the, uh, metaphysical theories, there is a big uh, continuum. And you can see the continuum in the development of consciousness throughout the biological world. It didn't just emerge by magic. It's obviously a tool of survival. Consciousness is only about perceiving this reality and for us dealing with this reality. And when religion steps in and says, no, 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 there are other factors, uh, then what they're doing is they're trying to get you to act against the needs of this life, which is precisely what Christianity and the substance of this doctrine is saying. Then, okay, okay yeah, so then why, why is it that certain... <laughs> well, then why is it that certain things come about that violate that sort of evo psychology logic? For example, art, metaphysics, religion itself. Why is it that somehow the greatest works in human history tend to contradict that base survival instinct that has given birth to reason to begin with? Well, I, you're asking where religion comes from. I think it's inevitable. Humans had to learn that other things were not conscious like they were. They assumed that the sun rose with a purpose like they got out of bed, that river, the rain fell for a purpose like they cried. No, when science was born, when they, we started saying, no, it wasn't some god or some spirit that caused it. It was a natural phenomenon, a natural cause as opposed to some conscious cause, some purpose of some god. For humans, they did not have, know that they were unique, that their consciousness is special. And so they grafted consciousness onto the world itself. First animism, then polytheism, which dominated most of human history, and only more recently monotheism. It's the projection of human consciousness onto the universe itself. Inevitable, natural, but fortunately we're overcoming it. But I'm saying, I'm saying, well, you're misunderstanding what I'm trying to ask here. 
I'm saying, why is it that there is a predisposition towards things in religion and in the work of art and in philosophy even that violates that strict logic of survival and expenditure of resources towards survival? And why is it that there are things that don't exactly make sense? For example, various rituals. Um, why is it that so much conscious effort is expended upon things that don't make a lot of evolutionary sense? Human beings need philosophy. Human beings. Why? Oh, Why? They're rational beings. Their tool of survival requires. But in your like Randian hyper-capitalist individualist world, why we need anything if not for material survival apart from that? Oh, because human beings are not just material things. We are conscious beings with purposes and emotions, mm -hmm. and ideas and awareness. But, but isn't consciousness is arbitrary uh, according to the logic of evolution? That's arbitrary. Materialist. I'm a being of, in fact, I'm not going to tell the world what it has to contain, materialness, consciousness, no. no. I'm saying no, the logic I, that you're purporting, that materialistic logic will lead to inevitably this hyper-utilitarian uh, world. Okay, I, 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 I want to step in here not... as well. I want to step in here as well. So, James, what do you think happens when you die? The same thing that happened when I, before I was born. So I'm as far aware. as the awareness that you have right now, what do you think happens to that? Part of the cause, a brain, a nervous system. I take drugs that affects my consciousness. You cut off my brain. All evidence that I'm conscious ends. A dead body has no evidence that it's conscious. Mm. Well, there, there are there are certain studies I want to send you no with people who have been who have been under in a coma in the state where their brain is uh, not working at all. And during that state, they were able to relay certain experiences that they have had when they came back. Now I don't remember exactly what back. this. Yes, when they came back. Well, who knows as far what as when they came back. Well, so uh, I'm going to send you the studies, and then we're going to discuss. I don't have them yeah, in front. Okay. Instead, I'm going to be a Final Fantasy X Yuna summoner over here, and I'm going to summon this text that is in front of me. It's very short, but this uh, relates to what we're talking about. Can so I ask you a question about... Um... Oh, Geo, I got I to gotta say this, and then... Okay, here we go. Okay, no, okay. So, okay, the chapter is entitled Materialism, the Big Black Sack. And again, I know you're not a materialist. I'm not going to put that in there, but uh, anyway... Since materialism holds that a human being is nothing more than a haphazard temporary coagulation of physical matter energy, consciousness of self is nothing more than an illusion which ceases the moment the body stops functioning and decomposes. You're with me so far, right? You agree with that? No. I okay. Totally disagree. Chance is not part of the universe at all. Causality is the answer. Okay, well... I'm a, I'm, reflects human ignorance. Okay, okay, I'm, a, I'm, I'm moving forward here. That's, that, that's not the important part. Words like haphazard, it is a total concession to mysticism. Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, hence, whether this illusion is completely accidental or constructed and replaced by prior supernature intelligence is also a non-topic of permissible discussion. The only respectable assumptions are atheism and agnosticism. Some materialists are so fanatic in their certainty that since they are only freak, persistent electrochemical accidents, Everything else in the entire universe must also be as well. Thus, they confidently deny not just any creative genius behind the subatomic interfunctional complexity of nature, but the uniform and continuous enforcement of this natural law everywhere from millisecond to millisecond. The odds against the entirety of this are prima facie. I'm not sure if I'm saying that word correctly. Am I saying that? So uh, what, what do you think so far? Utter nonsense. All right. I totally disagree with every premise in that assertion. 
It is not a question of chance, haphazard, anything. Science tells us the causality. If, if the only order to the universe, you see, think of Kepler. Kepler was trying to find artificial order with the five visible planets. There's more than five, but the five that he could see at the time, he was trying to fit within the five regular solids of geometry. If he could show that, then he could show that God, you see, had constructed this and he was like a geometrist and the God was the ultimate mathematician and that would be a signature. He failed. In fact, the planetary orbits don't do any such thing. They're on their own irregular ellipses, different ellipses, irregular ellipses, although they fall or consistent rules that Kepler dis discovered. So there's no signature. The only order to the universe that there is is the simple order of uh, things, the A is A, things are what they are, contradictions can't happen. But there can be no conceivable universe. But, the, but if contradictions cannot yeah. happen, then how come being comes about from non-being? How can that happen? Being, there is no non-being. But there's not being all the time. There's no, only in relation to being. I could say my pocket is empty. I burn this piece of paper. That paper is no more. Nothing is nothing. Nothing. Well, I mean, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of delusion. All right. So I, I will say what, one more thing in this text and then I'm going to leave it. So here we go. Okay. So the odds against the entirety of this are prima facie. Impossible. So atheists handle this annoyance by refusing to discuss it. Questions as to why, if one's personal consciousness, if it's nothing more than a freak electrical collision in the brain, this illusion should continue with consistent memory for the individual's lifetime, and why prior to Dr. Harold Saxon's Burr's uh, 1972 discover of, uh, of uh, LFs, Conventional materialism had no way to explain the extraordinary organization, integration, and replacement of the human body's secular, uh, secular, huh, Freudian slip, cellular and molecular structure. Materialists grappled with this crucial problem simply by ignoring uh, such a freak accident, which occurs uh, in every. Uh, hu okay, so there we go. That's that's pretty much what I wanted to say. No, no, there, there, there are no accidents. Nothing is by chance. Chance only reflects human ignorance. If I flip a coin and I say the odds are 50-50, the odds aren't 50-50. The forces of what, how I flipped it, the atmosphere, so forth, will determine which it is, heads or tails. I just don't know all those facts, and those facts are way beyond my ability to, 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 to compute. But so, again, how do those laws of the universe become generated within a physical space? No, the, let me go back. Let me just finish what I was saying. Yeah. Odds are never 50-50. It's 100% certain whether it'll be heads or tails. Odds, chances, only reflect human ignorance. Mm. Mm. So here but, we're talking. But yet chance so, happens all the time. I well, don't here get we're it. talking about the death part. Since I mentioned the death part, because, earlier, because the strictly materialist world would necessitate that chance would have to mm. be a reality. No, no. I mean. Well, no. here, about, about the death, since we were talking about death, and as you said, that everything, it's going to be the same as when uh, before you were born. So, when we're talking, okay, so the atheist has nothing but to, uh, to anticipate when the electrical switch is turned off, the proverbial big black sack, or BBS, of extinction, of nothingness, the absence of any supernatural morality, including of posthumous reward punishment for incarnate behavior, makes sincere atheists that much more dangerous to others as they are motivated only by sensual gratification. Now, I'm not saying you're in that category, James. You are not like much, much, 
want their 70 virgins who will kill thousands of people on 9-11. Oh, you see how the supernatural makes them perfectly safe. Or the uh, Christians who are torturing other Christians and burning Science them. Science made, built, made planes, religion puts it into buildings. Let's not forget about the cop. James, as somebody from the USSR, as somebody from the USSR, let's not forget about the commies either, right? The communists, uh, they got the high scores too. Out of all the religious persecutions, the most atheistic millenarian regimes have the highest body count throughout history they don't do it in the name of atheism they do it in some other name oh oh so when stalin was just deleting whole swaths of monks and getting rid of orthodox priests i it's guess he didn't communism. really persecute religion what kind of fucking bullshit is that just in the name of communism. It's not in the name of atheism. Yeah, but communism has within it an explicitly atheistic and materialist assumption of the no, movement of history. But communist That's, people because of... But atheism is not a worldview. It's just... Well, just atheism is precisely a worldview. That's... That, it, <laughs> because it constitutes every single factor of what constitutes a worldview. Atheist, to be an atheist means you have everything. just as much atheist, of an ideology and a belief as any religious person. They don't believe in one little thing. They disagree about politics, philosophy. Atheists disagree about everything. Yeah. They tend to agree on a whole lot. There are atheists who are completely no, There are atheists who are... Uh, so that is just wrong. There are Christians who also believe in abortion. And the believe in uh, what else? Some other heretical nonsense. That's not besides. No, the well, the thing the thing that interests me the most is like, atheists disagree about everything. It's not a philosophy. No, no, true, true, true. Beyond beyond any of these, but yet, but yet they agree in their disbelief about. All right, right. God beyond any of metaphysics. Beyond any of these books, I don't. I I, don't I still look at the hard problem of consciousness. Where we're talking. Just, about, yes. I just want to say that atheists can be just as monstrous as Christians have been, Absolutely. or hottest muslims have been but you're it's, saying that christianity or rather religion is a unique evil upon the world as oh, opposed no, no, no. to well, I do communism or I any irrationality see because i believe that the truth is life and death getting it right what can explain christians burning and torturing women during the 16th century because they were slightly different kinds of christians Burn, uh, forcing Galileo to recant. Consider the religious wars during the Thirty Years' War. They forced him to recant over theological issues. Christ not that there were many scholars, even in the no, Christian look, world, that believed look, in the heliocentric theory. May I just have a minute? Okay, go, go, go. If it is a question of religion and faith and feelings, then the one method we have for peaceful interaction, reason, persuasion, is set aside. Insofar as reason and persuasion is enshrined, rather than mystical faith, going by your emotions, because if people are going to disagree. If it's a matter of faith and emotions, there's only one way to solve it, clubs and violence. If, on the other hand, you're a devotee of reason, then you have a peaceful means, and in fact, you should exclude any violent means of deciding these things. Hmm. Now... If someone like Marx comes along and says, no, dictatorship and violence are perfectly okay, because after all, polylogism is the thing. We can never really get the truth. It's really a form of mysticism. God is the state. The state is God, said Trotsky. So communism is a form of atheistic irrationality. There's all kinds of irrationality out there. A commitment to reason commits you to peace. It is Not faith necessarily. It is the history shows it is faith and force versus reason and freedom. The Attilas have their witch doctors, and they sort of need each other. Reason has produced some of the most inhuman acts of cruelty in human history, oh, precisely because I said 
reason has produced some of the most inhuman acts of cruelty in human history precisely because of their technocratic logic. Let me quote the end of Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt. Hannah Arendt said, if it wasn't for the mass disenchantment in Europe, the Holocaust would have never happened. Yeah, because and, the and precise atheistic logic of utilitarian instrumental reason. Like, I'm not a leftist, but let me I'm break out some Horkheimer and Adorno here. Uh, I mean, utilitarian is kind of a Christian. He ad, he combines hedonism with a Christian do it for others. The, the greatest happiness for the greatest number, the greatest pleasure for the greatest number. I reject the that. Pleasure all. contradicts the fundamental belief of Christianity, though. That's but to why, say that utilitarianism. Nothing, oh, that's about the that's wild. He is simply accepting an altruist premise that's a leftover of religion. Hmm. Altruism is itself a premise of religion that says people have to sacrifice for each other, that utilitarianism builds in, that Marxism builds in. In fact, Christianity is the, is the sort of moral basis of communism. The apostles held all their property in common. The poor was what it was all about. And so what, in effect, the socialists did was secularize Christianity and turn it into a politics. But then why did they, well, of course they felt the need to counteract Christianity through these sort of great uh, 20th century um, disenchanters, whether it be Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx. Uh, but this argument that, I mean, some, in certain aspects I will agree that yes, of course these ideologies are an outgrowth, but they are rather a perversion of the Christian ethic rather than explicitly uh, the logical next step. I mean, there's whole encyclicals against communism, despite what fed, you know, fed uh, left calves would want They're to do. Competition. And then you've got liberation theology where you've got Catholic priests who basically absorb a communist heretical integrated into their Especially heretical by by mm. by and the pope yeah, many you know, popes. Big advocate of capitalism the pope is constantly telling uh capitalist countries they have to be more socialist mm. even to well, i have my disagreements with pope francis <laughs> obviously but i but no i would say that even capitalism itself is a millenarian ideology that is also kind of an outgrowth of uh that sort of thinking do you not think that capitalism has led to injustice and cruelty and the use of force throughout the world I mean, I, I don't know. It seems that you're not capitalism properly understood. In my view, capitalism is oh, oh here. Well, not no, not true. Politics, but and it's really irrelevant. Okay, my politics is. If you want my politics, I'm happy to tell you. But the fact is, uh, <laughs> no, <clears throat> I happen to believe that capitalism, properly understood, I define capitalism as the system that enforces individual rights, freedom including property rights. It is a system in which all initiation of force is banned, violence. All human interaction should be voluntary. And to the extent that humans have actually been free from one another, the force, coercion, and violence of one another that has liberated their mind. Mind and force are opposites. So when people are sort of drowning in the VR pod and uh, cooming to anime, I guess that's liberation now. Well, the Catholic Church opposed vaccines, they opposed anesthesia for pregnant women. They opposed street lights at night. They opposed every progress in science. Of course, now they oppose birth control. Well, then why is it that the Catholic Church has preserved scientific knowledge throughout the centuries? You don't belong this narrative is simply false. It's not about enjoying your life here on earth. You belong to, you're, you have to enact God's purpose as the Catholic Church. So birth control, you think sex is for your pleasure? You think sex is for happiness on earth or to, or to be a responsible parent? No, no, no. 
You have to have just as many babies as your sex urge requires, says the Catholic Church, because we can't interfere with God's plan, so you can't take birth control. That is anti-life, just like Jesus was anti-this life. And the How Catholic is that anti-life? That seems to promote life. That's the promulgation of life. Oh, we're because, oh vaccines are anti-life. No, I'm oh, saying you're saying about birth control. As, birth control. Well, no, no. When, well, how is it that a lot of medical well, discoveries are actually discovered from the Catholic priests? Talk to the unwanted babies who are put into dumpsters. Talk to the women who are because we live in a very perverse and evil society that has gotten rid of the Christian ethic that it was based upon. It is anti-life to say you can't control your own reproduction mm -hmm. if we have the means to. Well, hold on. Let's dissect this for a moment. Oh, hold on, hold on, everybody. Every, yeah, hold on, hold on, everybody. Please. Listen. Why would you not want to limit abortion? Hold on, hold on. Or other means I want. I want to touch on what was talked about here. Do you want to live in a world in which we view life as fundamentally arbitrary, to where we can just have a sort of dispenser role upon life and death? That seems kind of I don't know, crazy to me. But maybe no, I'm just the evil no, woman-hating fascist. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Guys, hold on. I got to speak here. Number one, I want to touch also, on what... what Geo, I'm trying to get this under good. control. How is freedom an inherent good? I'm trying good. to get this under control. What is the okay. basis? If hold there's on. truly no morality ah. on a metaphysical basis, how is freedom an inherent good? Please. More freedom. I don't know. More freedom. It's just Hold on. Before we get to the freedom... The operation of reason. Uh Yes, but that's why re is it necessary that freedom is required to operate reason? Prosperity. Let him go. Okay. Okay. No. Here's what I wanted to say regarding the uh, birth control. So Geo's comment had to do with uh, Christian societies making sure that babies would not have ended up in the dumpster, and now we're living in a secular society which would uh, permit that more. I just want to make sure, Geo, would that be your uh, consensus? Yes, a hundred percent. As in reality, the Christian moral world has been lessened. We live in horrors, man-made horrors beyond our wildest dreams. Things happen beyond our control, and babies will be unwanted, and that will affect the way they're raised. I ha how many times did I see women who were not approaching their motherhood on purpose and voluntarily taking it out on their kids? Now, if it is a choice that and control within the control of the parents, they will want the children. The children will be better cared for. They will have only the number of children they can economically afford, et cetera, et cetera. Actual misery occurs when you don't allow birth control and take away from people the control over their own reproductive uh, activities. Misery must occur. Must occur. Mm. But the misery of extinguishing innocent human life, is that not outweighed? How does birth control extinguish human life? Maybe not birth control necessarily, but you're birth saying that if you have an ability to control reproduction in general, that we should use it. Does that also include um, abortion and partial well, birth abortion morning after pill? Birth control example. It was clear that you're seeing that the church's doctrine on birth control is actually the cause of human misery and is anti-life. But extinguishing life just is like anti-life. I don't understand. Just like Galileo, just like every right, opposite. But yeah, you, okay, fine, but it's anti-life, but yet your like own religious belief in capitalism is also anti-life because of look at all of the poor economic outcomes throughout the world. Is that not anti-life? Do we not live in a crippling social Darwinist world look, order look, look, when it comes specifically to the economic arrangement? I, I didn't come here prepared to argue the verse. Yeah, this is, this is different. Yeah. Well, it leads into that, the other. I mean, the it's, point is that if, when, to the extent capitalism has freedom has been allowed, you don't have misery. 
Capitalism is the only we system. We have a ton of misery. Ever help the poor? No, I think James is right. I think James no, is right that this no, is going. No. This is we going in more, a different direction. We have more misery than ever. It's just not hold, the hold misery. On. No, no. Let's let's really? actually talk about that. Everyone but okay, well, we rely I, upon an apparatus of exploitation. Hold on, hold on. The third world to even exist. It's time so for left. Kind of it's time for left to speak. Being rich from it, these poor people. All right, hold on. I'm sorry. It's time Everyone's for love to speak here. Everyone's overweight. Hold on. I'm I'm wrestling Is control. Is that misery? Gnostic conformant? I'm wrestling control back on the stream here. Hunger and famine. Hunger and famine is a lot more miserable than being overweight and having your phone and being being obsessed yeah. with it. Sure. Okay, so hold being on. Being lulled into sleep so by the various somas of modernity. All right. Being in America, the All right. Hold on. Okay. I'm sorry. I had to mute everybody right now because I got to wrestle control of this out of control stream. All right. Here's what I want to say now that I finally have the floor. Number one, I agree with neither of you. I agree with, even though I would say that I'm more on James's side when it comes to uh, better ways that people act according to, you know, according to certain uh, ethics that you could say are logical or whatever. People act, I think, pretty good right now as far as being neighborly. I don't think it's this nightmare scenario that a lot of people paint. And I think that uh, the uh, age of reason or the enlightenment did have a role to play there, which is very significant. That's number one. But here's the important thing, and this is something I know James is going to disagree with him, but this is something that Rudolf Steiner pointed out, that Steiner believed that we are still running on the fumes of this sense of there being something out there, something beyond whatever it is that we are familiar with. There are very smart and brilliant people out there, like James over here, who I think can live without that sense. But I think that a lot of people cannot live without that sense. And I'm not saying, oh, this is just for the plebs. No, I think that this is a very important sense, kind of like in The Truman Show, if you remember that movie, where in the uh, school they said, oh, everything's been discovered already. It's this sense of there is nothing more that I could find out. There is nothing more to go beyond this idea of what it means to be an embodied consciousness. And this is my big issue with James, where my personal thought, and uh, this, is just, this is just me over here, this is just Lev. My personal thought is that I don't believe the radio creates the music. I don't believe that these various electric signals in our brain and these cells and the DNA, I don't think that that's what the experiencer is. I don't think you can dissect the human body and take out a dream and take out a thought, that these are not things that are relegated to the particular solidified experience of the uh, human chemical body or anything that goes on in nature that I would qualify as being alive. So when it comes to what exactly that is, I don't know, but that is the only thing that I would say uh, there. That's it. Everybody could speak now. And everybody subscribe, by the way. Subscribe to the Break the Rules stream right now. Patreon.com slash Break the Rules. Become a patron today. We are going hot. And afterwards, after James, we are going to go to the uh, Twitter space and continue the conversation there. So, Let's can that, Lev. It's getting late. Really? It is getting late? Yeah. I don't know. Gnostic, what do you think? Is it, is it too late? Unmute yourself. Yeah, we've been here. It's almost. It's already nine o'clock. It's already oh, been a couple hours, oh boy. So. Okay. Well, next time we'll do it next yeah. time. Oh, James, you got to unmute yourself. Yeah, yeah. James got to unmute yourself. Well, as for finally for the claim that human life is better materially, yes. Spiritually, morally, and on every other metric, 
We are suffering immensely and we are going to suffer materially as well. Just wait. It's already happening. It's already in place. So that's uh, the problem. And also man-made horrors beyond our wildest dreams have been caused precisely by the age of reason, not the absence of hundred years. That is from my now, final argument. hundred years from now, people are going to be able to walk outside and jump into a car. It's going to be a remote. It's going to be a car controlled by a computer and they're not the driver or anything. They can probably pay pennies on the dollar for a ride to James, work. unmute yourself. You have to... Um, oh, the yes. World, the world is becoming more and more automated. Hey, hold on. I'll do it. I'll do it. Hold on one second. I will, I will say this. We're becoming kind of oh. like dumber in a way because we're everything's oh, done for us. James, to... you have to uh, you have to unmute yourself because I, I can't do it for you. Oh, yeah, God. You got to click the uh, lower... Control D. Hit Control D. Control D. Yes. Yeah. So... So, there we go. There we go. There I, go. Okay. I wanted to agree with you, Lev. All right. That I was going to disagree with you. I actually substantially agree with you. Human beings are more than uh, memory. Look, my conscious state is not the squiggling of the brain. No, it isn't. I'm not a materialist in that sense. Consciousness is real, and people need philosophy precisely because consciousness is real. Human, the mode of human consciousness requires us to have an integrated view of life, requires us to have an ethics. We can, we can act as our own destroyers. And we have to know what's in our long-term interest, what really works for human beings and what doesn't. That can only be discovered by reason. Before the age of reason, I mean, cannibalism and, and human sacrifice, of course, and then slavery only got, was taken out in the civilized world only, you know, 150, 160 years ago. No, uh, no, 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 no. We're only in the, the enlightenment is the first thing. A, a, a country like America with free speech and a separation of church and state could only have come about by the enlightenment. The only the end of this religious violence and forcing people to have the same religious viewpoint could only occur because of enlightenment ideas that liberated government from religion and created a secular. Well, I, I would also with these reason. Wait, in the wait, 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 but, but, hold, hold on, hold on. No, I gotta, I gotta have my soapbox now. Domination was there as well. Hold on, I gotta have my soapbox, Geo. Well, so sorry. I would equate. I would equate. No problem. I would equate uh, reason with with, with, uh, with wisdom. Where if we're talking about somebody who has grown wise, who has seen various things in their life, and they have acquired this thing that I would call wisdom, then they would also be reasonable. I would say there are a lot of midwits out there who claim to be reasonable and use the excuse of reason for creating okay. draconian uh, situations. And I know that you are not on that side, James. The last thing that I would say, though, is that when it comes to what exactly happens with our consciousness after this particular vessel starts to uh, you know go offline decompose whatever where i would differ here is i'm not sure what happens i'm not going to put a stop or a wall and say there is nothing 100 percent beyond this i'm not going to limit myself to saying that this is it i don't know for sure but my body falls apart as i age and so does my mind and so does my mind your perception, your, your perception falls apart. The inevitable biological course of things, when I look at the aging process, look, this thing's falling apart, and the inevitable course is death. <laughs> so the fact is... Uh, when, you, when you're drunk, uh, James, when you're drunk, you're also not perceiving things well. When you're high, you're perceiving right. things in a different way. Perception changes, but the question is, what about the perceiver? You could have a shitty radio that plays garbled garbage, but then when you have the same song coming through a different radio, it's different. Yes, make the point. If you, where is it? Actually, I have it next to me. Fang Numina by Nick Land. Um, do you not think that 
what, given the scholarship of people such as Gregor Bataille and Nick Land, that certain conditions problematize the straightforward Kantian notion of reason when you have the reality that certain people live with a sort of imperfect reason or rather a skewed perception of reason and the intellect and the imagination. Because, for example, in the schizophrenic, this line between the understanding, reason, and the imagination are jumbled together. There is no filter there. So... It seems that the universalism of these enlightened values, specifically when it comes to reason, are problematized in a variety of different ways. I think Kant was trying to defend a religious worldview. I think his view of reason is utterly repugnant. He was, in the name of reason, he destroyed reason, in my view. Philosophy, mm. Kant has been going in a mystical direction. He wanted to defend a Christian ethics, an ethics of duty, which I totally reject. He said he found it necessary to deny reason in order to make room for faith. And then he proceeded to all to construct an intrinsicist code of ethics, in effect, to uh, based on nothing like the needs of this earth. He was a deontologist who separated ethics from consequences altogether. So he's another one of these uh, anti. He's called an Enlightenment philosopher, but he's one of these uh, Christian-influenced people who set philosophy on an anti-reason course. So I reject. So you mentioned Kant. I reject Kant as just about the worst philosopher in human history. <laughs> yeah. You would hate De Maestra, my God. And uh, um, you would uh, hate a certain robot with the word content, if, you're not, if you know what I'm talking about, Geo. But we got to get to Super Chats, by the way. So okay. I also reject Kantianism from a more... Uh, any any final thoughts before, uh, uh, before Super Chats, James? Any Tom final did. thoughts before... Okay, so here we go. Here's well, Super I, Chats. It, it was sort of a free-form conversation. Super uh, Chat time. Fun, but... <laughs> No, th this was oh. a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So here we go. Uh, Dharma Defender, $5. Christi oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> Christianity, zero eyewitnesses to a resurrection, but Paul claims there are 515. Someone forgot to preserve the information. How convenient. <laughs> there we go. There was well. Ne next, next Ooh, super chat. I wish Trevantis came on. He has more knowledge in this area. Yeah. Well, ac actually, okay, James. The issue is here too. Yeah, James. If you would be interested, I would love to do this again. If Gravantis watches the stream and if he has any questions for you, I would love to. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Absolutely. Why not? All right. This is fun. This I is fun. It. I really I enjoy. It's it. strange that. Uh, <laughs> Given the history of Vedanta, that the Dharma defend, I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, kind of. Uh, uh, what are you going to do? The, anyway. If you oh. look at for a, a lot of different traditions around the Indus Valley there, I mean, there's people, there's like a lot of weirdos, like New Agers that like to claim that, well, you know, maybe Jesus had an epic bro down with uh, the Buddha. I mean, even the actual, me and Tyler, who's in the chat, we had this conversation about the axial age and how that sort of gets misinterpreted. But I don't know. I just. Uh, well, there are conne uh, interesting connections between Eastern mysticism and Christianity, though, and asceticism that sets in, for example, in medieval Europe, where monks are, you know, whipping their backs literally bloody, the flagellants. Mm -hmm. You got people denying themselves celibacy, poverty, uh, sleeping on rocks, that kind of Christian asceticism. And then you go to the yogis in India, their asceticism. Let me suggest that there may or may not have been an influence and interaction, but, uh, and I have no reason to, you know, argue there, one there yeah, like, there, there we know was, there were Buddhists in Egypt in the first, sec, first century BC. We know there's Buddhists in Egypt. Let me, yeah, and certainly trade with Rome extended to the, at least India, even further. Yeah, the first Buddhist statues were Greek in origin. Mm, the Let me suggest that this opposition to the body is inherent in religion. When but I you, think the, you divide 
when you sudden when you let me just say when you postulate a supernatural dimension you've already dissed this world you've created a real ideal theory practice dichotomy ultimately a mind body dichotomy which sets people at war with this world why jesus says don't consider what you wear what you eat don't be, be frightened to be poor poverty is wonderful it's great when you're persecuted love your enemies i would uh, i would differentiate when it comes but to some see that some yogis though if we're talking about certain tantric practices it's the complete opposite they are actually supposed to make the body healthier and live longer so when that's it comes right. to a lot yeah, of these things well no the, yeah, no i mean christian asceticism was also to make the body into a form of hell. Sorry, James, you make a point that I wanted to respond to that. Okay. So go ahead. What I wanted to indicate, there are different forms of asceticism. Some of them do say it's good for the body. But when you look at some of those yogis that are emaciated beyond the pale and are proud of their pain, that's mm. the asceticism I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. But those were different practices within, for example, an orthodox field. I'm not you know, I'm not Orthodox Christian, but and leads us to a war with our own bodies. No, but that but that war is designed for a greater purity, a greater understanding of this world, Mother and only the few could right. achieve those levels of asceticism. No, 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 but no. but let me make this thing because a long time ago, and when I did my MA, was actually in Eastern religion. It was in uh, in philosophy. It was in specifically Zen Buddhism and aesthetics, but. Um, when it comes to the question of asceticism, of course, we have to realize the vast differences in the purpose of that asceticism, both in the East and the West. I mean, they have very different and intricate systems within Vedanta in particular when they approach um, various forms of asceticism in terms of reaching different levels of yoga, highest being yana yoga. And whereas in the West, it's very much this relation between the one and the other of Christ and our Lord. That is, of course, very different in Hinduism, although there are parallels, of course, right? But my problem, like, having been a perennialist for... No reason. But but I would argue it is a form of reason, James. And all that matters. You exist for your own life. Your life is an end in itself. Your no, your life is not. Justify it. Your life... <laughs> listen, James, listen. I have met... <laughs> I've been kind of an asshole. All right. I think that you're a nice guy. Uh, but I think we just have such a fundamental disagreement. I could I could bridge the divide though. For example, James, you could take this you could take this however life on earth and that you think there are things that are worth sac that this life can be sacrificed for some supernatural fantasy. Not total no, but not totally sacrificed because James, there were various heretical sects that the church persecuted that specifically believed in a very Gnostic anti-life interpretation of the of theosis. For example, the Cathars believed, you know, that this world was hell and and they had to be uh done away with same with the gnostics I don't know. sorry gnostic well, informant, we're, we're gonna have a gnostic debate coming up monday by the way this monday gnostic debate. all kinds of anti-body anti uh sex anti-wealth manifestations of mysticism just protestant guilt over sex they're all hung up enough. But that's Protestantism. I'm a <laughs> only mysticism. That's heretical. Only concerns with another world could make them inherently hostile to their own body's needs. Oh, I, I think that in within certain forms of Catholic and Orthodox mysticism, there is a recognition of those bodily needs. There is a love of there's concepts of yeah. agape leading to eros. Live up to Christian ethics. I mean, we're all lusting in our hearts and feeling anger. We're all born right. according to some with original sin. No, that's a good thing. that whole view of ethics. 
but but you understand that in order to give in to the lust and the the capacence cap of the flesh justify yeah, but it's not always good it leads your own heart to a form of bondage have you james have you ever read e michael jones by the way what yeah have you read e michael jones that would be an interesting debate is do you know about uh, e michael jones uh, libido dominandi i've heard of it but i've not read it i think you'd i think you'd like this book because it explains from saint paul onwards that this form of capuscence is a form of bondage and slavery upon the human soul. And that liberation can only come about through one's inner regulation. Because what you're saying is that we have to reject the, uh, the pre-Socratics, the cynics, and all other sort of uh, schools oh, that well, preach a form of uh, abstinence. Alternative. That's a bizarre false alternative. It's not being totally hedonistic and giving in and being bond, bound to my lust. Okay, maybe I'm being yeah. repressed about sex and thinking lust is itself a sin. No, sex must be approached rationally, honestly, in a principled fashion if you're going to get the most of it. No, but, but out of sex, you have to be rational about it. You can't be art. You can't be whimsical. You can't indulge yourself in in uh, mindless orgies. No, it's right, a bizarre right. fault alternative to say it's dogma or nothing. It's everything goes or you go by my uptight strict rules. That's what religion presents us with. And it's this bizarre false alternative that must be rejected. But both are the results of religion. Notice it's the subjectivist wild guy. He's usually the burnt religious guy who said, I've had enough to hell with that. Mm. Anything goes, I'm going to go by my feelings. No, but I would say that to me, in my view, Christian, specifically Catholicism, is that median, that middle way between those two worlds, because it is a recognition of one's lusts and one's iniquity. It is a recognition of one's bodily needs. It doesn't demonize it to the extent that certain my Protestant evangelical like Calvinists must be chosen. There is no unchosen good or bad. If I blame you for being a white guy, I'm blaming for something that you didn't choose. That would be immoral. That would be improper moral evaluation. As Aristotle observed, only things which you choose, you can be evaluated for. Your thoughts, your actions, the things you have chosen voluntarily. So original sin is a destruction of ethics at its root, saying that emotions are a form of sin. Lust, that is a hatred of human nature and our non-volitional nature being condemned for. You see? No. Emotions are outside the realm of cognition. How you act on those emo uh, moral evaluation, how you act on those emotions or not, is subject to moral evaluation. But that's but that's Catholic doctrine 101. It's rather the well, act of sinning. It's not corrupt, merely... Corrupt. You have original sin. You can't even get into the church till you're baptized. Then you got to be confirmed. And then once mm -hmm. you're confirmed, only then can you take mass. you got to belong to this club. Go through these the bizarre sacraments as if it's this club, St. Peter's Club, that gets you into heaven. Uh, mm -hmm. through the, the kingdom because you've obeyed the sacraments, you see? Yes, of and course. For, and only in the 20th century, back to Roman provenance, only in the 20th century did the Pope officially forgive the Jews for killing Jesus. Now talk about a sick religion. Well, I don't know. I think that kind of was a bad move because I uh, there are many uh, Catholic uh, doctrines beforehand that says that we've completed the covenant. And uh, I, I mean, you're hung up on this anti-Semitism thing. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of... Now, millions of Jews were killed in Christian ghettos too. And forced now, to get... Ghetto, we get the word ghetto from the way... Well, Jews I mean, if you wanted off. to pin 
that particular regime of the 20th century on Christianity. I don't know. No, we're not even. Of, no, oh, we're not talking about those. Way before that. Yeah. Oh, you mean the pogroms in the 13th century? If Jews were forced to convert or live in ghettos or die, you know what I mean? There was that was a thing. Oh no. Uh, I mean, for most of its history, Christianity break a few eggs. viciously anti-Semitic. Right. Yes, but you have to understand that they're two very distinct worldviews. Well, I don't want to get into this or else we're going to get banned on YouTube. But right. I'm not about to put some uh, 4chan infographic. We'll have an episode later on, on Odyssey. But I, no, but I'm saying in specifically when it comes to bodily sin, I think that there is a middle way present within the doctrine of the church. Right. There isn't sort of this weird Calvinist evangelical... I want to throw out a, a, a shout-out to Thomas Aquinas. You know... Like I said earlier, Augustine was your hardcore earlier Christian, and he really did believe some wildly inhuman doctrines, like his opposition to self-defense being reasonable. He said people will do it, but it's a sin you have to be forgiven for. Aquinas said, no, 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 no. Self-defense is okay. Aquinas was the guy who reintroduced Aristotelian logic into Christian thought and thereby set off the procedure that would lead to the Renaissance and the Age of Reason and the Enlightenment. He got the camel's nose under the tent, and it was Greek logic, observational science of Aristotle, that started to undermine Christianity. So uh, Thomas Aquinas's attempt to prove God with logic, you know, his five proofs for the existence of God, was actually a step in the right direction. We obviously, people like Hume and philosophers since shattered those arguments. They are not good arguments for the existence of God. But the very attempt to prove it with Aristotelian logic and observation inserted reason into the Christian mix. And Catholicism does have a glorious intellectual tradition dating from the scholastics and Thomas Aquinas, one that I very much admire as much as I disagree with because they were great Aristotelians trying to find an Aristotelian middle way. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think a lot of Catholic doctrine is better than some of the more extreme versions of Christianity, precisely because it is much more grounded in an earthly, uh, Thomistic, Aristotelian uh, way. Well, Aristotle also believed that there are naturally enslaved souls, that there are just uh, there's a caste order in life. I mean, there's certain people, you know, anyways. I reject his argument for natural slavery the natural rights people took that over and reversed it and turned it into natural well, rights. Yeah, slavery. Yeah. So Locke's version of Aristotelianism was natural rights against slavery. And fortunately that was the rational idea that won the day, but it is uh, that mm. sort of. Natural, uh, mm. natural well, let's go to the uh, other super chats that. here. We still have a bit of more super chats to go. Oh, I don't one... know. I think if you look at certain people nowadays, I think maybe he was right about that. But super chat, super chat, super chat, super chat. Okay. Oh, and while I have the soapbox, everybody who's watching this, if you guys are enjoying this stream, subscribe to oh. break the rules. TV. Click that subscribe button, smash the subscribe button, smash the like button, share this with all your friends. Listen, if you have Christian friends out there who have a bone to pick with whatever, James is talking about. Come on, come on, this show. We're gonna settle it, mano a mano. Oh, and, and one, and one final thing that I would say, and James, you could interpret this however you want. You could say, you know, whatever. I could have a middle ground here by saying what all the BTR regulars already know. I do meditation. I see a white light. Some stuff moves on in, in my spine, and I'm also able to generate sometimes, not all the time, sometimes a three-dimensional white DNA helix around which starts spinning all these beautiful, you can see it on the screen right now probably, all these beautiful blue and purple lights. And it's this structure, it's structure that I can turn around in 3D space. 
and while I'm turning it around, I could zoom in, zoom out like it's a three-dimensional program. And while I'm doing it, this area over here that, as you know, a lot of Hindus purport to be the uh, so-called third eye starts to vibrate, starts to gyrate like a little motor. So the reason why I'm saying this, James, is I don't know if you've met people who had this particular skill or inclination or whatever you want to call it, but I'm just throwing it out there to possibly inspire you to look to further things out there. I meditate. Nice. I meditate. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to focus my mind and clear out the, the noise, the cognitive, you know, all that other noise background, trying to clear and focus my mind. I'm not levitating. I'm not performing miracles, of course, uh, but I am doing something within my own consciousness. And the fact that you can produce that image in your own mind, for example, or feel certain areas of your... And rotate um, it and zoom it in, zoom it out. Right. That, that doesn't took, present a problem to me in any way. But to me, it just goes to show me that there are more things out there as far as what is capable of being achieved by the human mind that we're aware of. And I'm oh, not going I'm not going to put a limitation on anything when I'm going to say like... The only maybe, limitation that yeah. I put is a causal one. Consciousness... Mm. Consciousness, like every other activity, needs a causal explanation. And without the cause that I'm aware of, the brain, a nerve functioning nervous system, uh, you're suggesting a causeless, disembodied thing, a magical thing. Uh, no. I, that well, this is, this is where we're going to differ again, because I can't see how we can extract this cause from the brain. Like, is it the, is it the electric currents? Like, what exactly is this cause you're talking you about? The connection. Like you point out, you get drunk, it affects your consciousness. A physical change of the chemistry in your body changes the mode of your consciousness. I can do that with drugs. I yes. can do that with education. But as far as what the actual that cause is that generates... Child, yeah, yeah, but what is the actual cause that generates the cognition in the first place? It's not the electrical signals. Those signals are not the observer. It goes back to this question that nobody can answer. I can't answer and you can't answer it. Whoa, 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 no. The relationship between, look, at one level. At least level, someone's on my side in the stream. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, at one level, it, even if we neurologically, neurophysiologists one day fully understand how the brain produces consciousness, it will still be a state of consciousness, that knowledge. So at one level, phenomenologically, yeah, underneath the fact of consciousness, right? Even if we causally understand it, it'll just be another state of consciousness, that understanding. So on the other hand, oh, there's no justification for making up stuff just because we don't. We have ignorance. Ignorance is not a license to make up whatever feels good for us. Beyond the uh, what you were talking about relating to the uh, ignorance and making things up, I 100% agree. This is why I don't want to make things up. What I want to do is actually look at people like I would. Th I would think it would be a great conversation if you would have in the future with somebody like Rupert Sheldrake. Do you know Rupert Sheldrake's work? I've heard his work again. I, you, you're putting naming very much, very much demonized by the you, ivory tower people. Let me read you something from. No, people. I'm not going to break. All right, all right. Terry had a stream. Yes, talking about the convoy. I have to admit, gentlemen, that you're bringing up people that I have consciously avoided, not pursued. Wait, who did Lev bring up? I didn't have Rupert my Sheldrake. <laughs> oh well, Lev, Lev, you're gonna have you're on your own there, buddy. It's no, no, no that's gonna be that's Sheldrake gonna be a has fun interesting time. ideas. I think he tends to reify like the more new agey aspects of his thinking. Also, someone well, in the people, chat people Gnostic wanted to ask you time. about the Archons. Yeah. Well, hold oh, on. Seven, We're gonna, we got to get to the super chat. Ninth chats. planet. 
Isn't Ninth Planet the Eddie yeah. Bravo MMA system that takes from Brazilian yeah, Jiu-Jitsu? That's, that's so funny. That's the first thing I thought about when you said Ninth Planet. I thought of Eddie Bravo's mm. face right away. Yeah. <laughs> Spider Guard is like right. devastating in my Ar- opinion. Archon is actually enough a Greek to do word it, probably. that means Archon is actually a Greek word that means um uh is it is it uh something like creator or something like something along the lines of like um it's it's like Archon, architect. Yeah. Power. Archon yeah. architect. Yeah. So the archons are like the like the 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 gatekeepers of like government and or or like certain certain areas certain. It could be tran- the Greek word can be translated is power ruler. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Jesus was uh, killed by the archons of this aeon. He's saying the powers that rule this age. Right. And, mm. uh, right. Perfectly vague, which is interesting, right? If it was a Roman crucifixion, you can it's perfectly understandable why, why Paul wouldn't be why Paul would be perfectly vague about that, eh? Hmm. All, by the way, all that well, I would propose, all that I would propose regarding Sheldrake is number one. I would love to get the two of you together. The fact that you were avoiding Sheldrake for some reason or another means <laughs> it's absolutely vital for the absolutely two of you to get together. Vital. Absolutely vital. So yes. And one, the thing, and one of the things, and one of the things that Sheldrake was talking about is that when he was giving people certain examples of, hey, look at this research that we did that would prove this or that they didn't even accept it because it would go against their worldview. And that's a real danger. So I hope that we could all be open-minded enough to look, yeah, to look at everything and to see what exactly Can is I going ask on you there. One more thing, James, sure. now that we're in a yeah, better and then, and then super chats. Yes. Yeah. We, Oh fuck. Um, we have to get to that. So just a bit, that, left, just a bit left. That would be interesting. Cause James versus Rupert Sheldrick. That would be, wow. <laughs> I wouldn't even have to talk for that one. Um, can I ask you now that we're in better spirits, what, what do you think in general of maybe not necessarily like the new age woo of someone like Sheldrake, but let's say the like more um, Whiteheadian notion of uh, panpsychism, what would you think of those ideas that are becoming more in vogue in like academic philosophy now? No, I am, I am a, a methodological individualist. So, I, oh, so yeah, yeah. So you think that's all basically within our own th- individual human cognition I, I i'm the only one who can think for me and that's why i don't surrender my mind to any authority my judgment is my responsibility and i take that responsibility so seriously that i do not defer to authority i do not go for arguments for authority and i certainly don't turn my mind over to some mystical authority religion, but, but we, religion in effect is turning one's surrendering one's mind to some form of authority but don't everyone but doesn't everyone in some ways it's a natural predisposition of just living on this earth that we go towards some form of authority or another, even authority within ourselves. Do you not think that authority, why isn't authority inherently an evil? Yeah. That is to say only, well, first of all, I regard reality as an absolute and reason is my only means of accessing it. And given those, you know, if you can demonstrate to me another means that actually gets me in contact with reality, like reason, but reason is, to my knowledge, the only way of knowing. And it's my only way of knowing, and it's a faculty of the individual. Each of us must judge the truth for him, him or herself. Well, like, for example, and I know that there is this big debate uh, throughout the centuries in orthodoxy in particular with when it comes to the nature of reason or logos and imagination. A lot of people would say that imagination would lead you towards what what is that word love i keep forgetting pre-last spiritual prelist prelist yeah i can speak in the russian accent because i am from <laughs> russia i'm from saint petersburg yeah um but i but i think that there in my opinion i know this sounds kind of 
new agey, but I do think that there are other forms of knowing, maybe just because I'm an artist myself, that I think that there are some things that are precluded from reason or rather reason cannot easily grasp within a closed system. But I, I wonder if to leave you maybe with something to think about, let me go to Schwangza, who had this uh, parallel in his uh, analytics where he says that is a butter, say Juan, he said the character John Cho, Juan Cho, oh, how I'm butchering it. Don Cho, Don Cho dreams of a butterfly flapping in the jungle. But is Don Cho dreaming of the butterfly or is the butterfly dreaming of Don Cho flapping or sleeping? Sorry. What do you only think, Don, James? Only Don, only Don knows. Now, if Don reports to me that he was having a dream, I have no reason to be, deny to doubt Don uh, if he tells me about his dream because I know dreams are a common phenomenon. Of course, Don could be lying to me, but only Don knows if he had a dream about a butterfly and it was Don's dream. The real, well, the, the real thing to see is if Don and the, if the, if Don sees this butterfly in the dream and exchanges email addresses with the butterfly, <laughs> and then well, no, 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 seriously, and then goes to the computer, types that email in, and he's able to have a conversation with the person who's living in I don't know India or something. That would be something. If we see that, then I think that would open a whole a whole real can of worms. And the only reason why I'm mentioning this, James, is. I think that human beings have a certain uh, habituation to them. We get into certain habits and we act like that. And I think that there's a lot of things that we're capable of where the whole you use it or you lose it approach comes in, which is why, again, I think either these things that I'm talking about, they've been not so much discredited as ignored. So that's why I'm saying we got to keep open minds. And if somebody presents something, let's take a look at as best as we can. Oh, I think I have a hold on. Somebody's at the. Uh... I wanted. Well, I don't know. Uh, Love actually was from Manhattan, not Brighton Beach, but that's kind of. I mean, wait, I know it's Brighton? funny. Okay, well, let, let's go to one of the Gio. only Russians who has yes. avoided Brighton Beach in, in New York City. No, 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 I was living around the Brighton Beach area. Yeah. Oh like shit! Around, that's right. That's, around yeah, Sheepshead Bay. So yeah, you got oh that right. God. Okay, so here, here, here is. Did the, someone uh... try to sell you Uzis out of a trunk? Lab? Oh. God. <laughs> so here is the here is the uh, next super chat. Let me just get this. Let me well, get the when I lived in Brooklyn, I got all kinds of offers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was during, the, uh, during the, the good older bad old days. Well, the, the bad old days are coming back, as you know, with the crime rates and all that. Anyway, next super oh, chat over here. We're brutal. almost done. We're almost done. Okay. Uh, Gaius Julius <laughs> Wintex. Oh, that's fucking guy. <laughs> that is no. amazing. That is an amazing name, by the way. Wait, well, wait, hey, listen. Wait, he's been trolling me in the chat. At okay. least we got no, no, your no. money, before him. Before him. No, before I'm him. Kidding, I'm kidding, Hold on. I'm before kidding. him, we also have RG who donated two ninety nine. And then we have all of our donations. And then I, I have a name which I don't know. It's like made out of symbols, like Tapa or something. Five uh, five dollars. Who says? Please stop talking over each other. That's why I have the mute button, and I'm going to use it next time. More. Okay. Next we have guy is Julius Windex four ninety nine. Va <laughs> Valiant crushed him. Valiant oh. crushed him. All right, oh and God. next one, and next one. I hope this guy. I hope YW is like we were talking about people predicting things. I hope this guy is a predictor. Donated two dollars says and uh, Gnostic informant. Listen to this. We need Tovia Singer here. Oh, that'd be a good one. Rabbi Singer is. Uh, you know, I'm not Jewish. I reject all religion, but Rabbi Singer is great at pointing out how anti-Jewish. 
Christianity really is. And of course, you would. Would yeah. reply to Luke. Of course. Yeah. No, but it's it's not. It's kind of an invested interest. No, no, it's not even that. It was Geo. Geo, you told me. Geo, Geo, you you told me to. Oh, sorry. You told me to remind you, and I just forgot until this very moment since we mentioned this, the Hebrew that Gnostic informant was oh, yeah. looking up, the uh, passages. I don't want to dwell too oh, much, but yeah. uh, is there anything you could say about this, Neil? Uh, well, you oh, know, oh, this is a spicy super chat that just came in. But uh, Gnostic, go ahead. <laughs> so I, I, if you don't know, I did a video with uh, Rabbi Tobias Singer like two weeks ago. It's already at like 40,000 views. And we went in on the certain parts of the Old Testament that got translated into Greek, which is the Septuagint, which is the basis for most of the Catholic Bibles, including the, including the Catholic Church, um, including the Jerome's Bible and all that, whatever. Long story short, they changed a lot of the stuff to fit a more Christian narrative. I'll give you a prime example. Psalm 20 talks about they pierce my hands and feet. When you read that, you're like, whoa. Oh, prophecy for Jesus. Turns out when you actually go to the Jewish Bible, the uh, Masoretic text, mm. not, a, not only the Masoretic text, all of the ancient manuscripts, mm. they all say like a lion. The word like a lion, kore, is very similar to the word for pierce my hands and feet, which is like right. kure or something like really, really similar. Good things about the words that tweak to change it, to make that difference. By the way, right. speaking, yeah, speaking of like a lion, speaking of like a lion, look who I got here. <laughs> a real lion a real lion yeah well yeah but i mean the li but the lion of christ is also a powerful symbolic image for christ himself he is the lot like even the lamb of christ within ezekiel then later in revelation it is the lamb that later conquers the lion of rome that's sure. another lion of judah and he is the lamb who was the sacrifice so yes yeah no i can see that i can see that the only the only thing is it's the context of what it's written in it's talking about uh, it's King David, the psalmist, writing about uh, mm -hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem being surrounded by Babylonians and Syrians. And they're saying, well, they pierced my hands and feet, whereas the other right. one says they're surrounded like lions and dogs. So it's, it's not like it doesn't change the narrative, but it changes it to make one sound like a, a right. prophecy for a crucifixion. The Masoretic no. text is different from the Septuagint text, which right. is often favored by Christians. And exactly. that's the point. Bible. Well, I was just going to make a little footnote here. One of the cool things about the Revised Standard Edition, that Christian translation of the Bible, is they returned to a more Masoretic, in, at least in most cases, a more Masoretic version of the Old Testament, Yeah. Uh, which is a strange thing. They have a Jewish Old Testament uh, when most Christian Bibles before that had a much more Christian Septuagint-based Old Testament. Yep. Well, I'm looking and I'm researching, and there's also other uh, various Christian scholars who disagree with uh, Tobias Singer. And I don't yeah, know. I mean, I think yeah, that the, 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 the Israelites also have their vested interest. And I, I don't know. Again, well, I, I doubt whether this is a level of... Uh, well, the, the, uh, here's the thing. The, when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, this was it. This is the final judge in the matter. Yeah. We have we now have documents that have been untouched that go date yeah. the century. Mm -hmm. so it turns out all the scrolls, all of these scrolls that have that verse, all of them say like a line, except for one. Oh, There's yeah. one ineligible scroll. It's a fragment. It was translated by Peter, uh Peter, whatever his name is. He's a Christian scholar. He translated it. If you look, you look you can look up the scroll online. I wish I had a picture to show you. It's almost ineligible, but he thinks that one says, pierce my hands and feet. So a lot of a lot of his friend, a lot of scholars that are critical of Christianity think that he's full of shit. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of flack for that. 
Like and all you have to do is read the Torah to know how horrifically impure it is to drink blood. Right. The idea mm -hmm. of drinking the sacrifice is blood. You drain the sacrifice of its blood thoroughly before any consumption of it. Yeah, it's it's as, a, as very ironic, nowadays. given the uh, anti-Jewish conspiracies uh, that uh, have spread out, like the blood libel and all that. Yeah, there's you know, just, like if we're talking about the blood, well, that actually does have a basis in fact, Lab. I don't know if that's he abused the Torah all over the place and abused Hebrew scriptures to make its point all over the place. Hmm. It's well, well a, someone mentioned Uriam no. version, but we just talked about right now how blood is something that's considered to be very, uh, you know, dirty and how you're not supposed to have anything to do with blood. How I does that you. how does that align at all with the uh, these uh, theories? That uh, people uh, well, purport. in Christianity, in particular Catholicism, with the the body and blood of Christ. I mean, no, I, no, but I'm talking about the theories about uh, you know the uh, Jewish blood libel stuff. Like, oh, how does that yeah, how does that align thing. with? Uh, I this, feel like uh, we're gonna get banned off of YouTube if we continue with this. Uh, well, <laughs> right here. The, oh, no, that's not it. The Jews somehow used babies. <laughs> talk <laughs> about the talk about the he's for breakfast right <laughs> his well, base i don't know the call to dionysus was big into this stuff <laughs> but that's how anti-semitic christians have been for most of their history yeah in fact the uh the imagery built into christianity from the outset well the imagery we get from john with the vine and you know the water and the wine you could yes you could see that a lot outright in fact at the end dionysus when he comes back to life after he's as after he's resurrected, he says they all they all see him in his glory and they're like, oh no, he really was God. And he's there's Dionysus, we have sinned, we beseech thee. And he said, it's too late, you knew me not. Yeah. This is your wage. Basically saying the wages of your sin for not accepting me. Right. All Dionysus cares about is if they believe in him. He doesn't care right. about their sins at all. Yes, but the right. but the purpose of the purpose of wine. And blood within Christianity, especially later in Revelation, it's fundamentally different than the pagan Dionysian view of the sort of ecstasy of wine. I mean, they're two fundamentally different things. What they have in common is the indwelling presence of what you take the God into yourself. It has a transformative effect. Yeah, but that's everything. You know, Jesus, the equivalent of a Jesus comes into your heart and changes you of you once you've gone yeah, through. Yeah, but a horror Mazda comes here, comes, 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 you know, uh, Christian rebirth, right? The, there was uh, uh, this rebirth of various other kinds through the pagan mysteries. That's exactly what it was. A rebirth. But they were, but they were rebirth in kind. They were different fundamentally from the Christian. Rebirth. If you, for example, I know people bring up Set and uh, Horus. But you are morally and psychologically a new person. The implication is yes. But but I'm so saying the idea within of a suffering suffering uh, semi divine savior is very common centuries before Christ. And he is, uh, yeah. This but is not great. in the same way, though. Not the idea of sacrifice was ultimately come into its own conclusion within Christianity. Look, I mean, the, that particular idea of sacrifice wasn't present very much in the ancient world. Human sacrifice existed for all of us. No, no, hu yes, human sacrifice, but that was very much a ritual and around engaged in human sacrifice, and then they abandoned it for just animal sacrifice, and we're still propitiating the gods to keep them on our side. In fact, so in other words, appeasing the gods with animal sacrifice. And the, so the, the difference is the son of God 
becomes mortal and sacrifices himself is like the sacrifice of Christ is different than obviously the notion of sacrifice in the ancient world. Even, you know, scholars such as Thomas Carlyle point out the difference within a pagan understanding of sacrifice and a Christian. We're still fucking late. We're still going over. Yes. All right. Let's get sacrifices to appease God. What about Ishtar descending into the hell, descending days on Easter in the on the on the the spring equinox, she descends into hell for three days, comes back up and saves the world. And then the Illusionian mysteries in, in in Italy, you have Persephone, Demeter, same concept. She goes down to the underworld and meets Hades, does makes a deal with them. And it's I mean it's all different. Yeah, the mirror, the mirror thing. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but well, that but even but that's even a debate in Christianity whether you know. Um, I know, for example, in the Everlasting Man, uh, Chesterton talks about how Christ became an atheist and so forth. But as uh, my good friend Thamestar, who, uh, Gnostic, you better get ready for Thamestar next week. My good friend Tyler Hamilton says that, uh, let me, let me, scroll. oh my God. I, can you scroll up a little bit, Lev? No. I, I lost the chat. Oh, okay, hold on. Let me see. Oh, I, I don't know um, because it's Thamestar not changing. Is, he says that just in, go down, go down a little bit, actually. No, yeah. Um, dying and rising God isn't used as a category in understanding these things in the pagan world. So yeah, there and, and yeah, so you can go right to the bottom, Lev. Well, why are there so many if it's not a category? Right. There's a lot of dying and rising. Why, they, why do we constantly? A lot of them are saviors too. They are saviors. But no, but the difference, as Alex Alpine says, ritual sacrifice was universal until Christianity disproved its efficacy to please God. Christianity embodied the final last sacrifice. It is the capstone of sacrifice. I mean, unless you live in, you know, places in the Eastern Polynesia and so forth. Animal sacrifice had already been done away with. We're told, for example, that that the Parthenon, the priests of Athena only brought up flowers to Athena. No animal sacrifices were involved. So Christianity didn't undo animal sacrifice for the first time. Wrong. Not for the first time, but in terms of its widespread use, it but maybe it was. was... Officiating an angry god or gods. Pythagoras hated human sac- or he hated meat sacrifice. He wanted people to use cakes. And then, and then, um, and the first yeah, they were vegans. Apollonius Siana, exactly. Yeah, Apollonius Siana, his cult, the uh, Neo Pythagoreans in the first century. Who are who are really similar to Christianity, by the way. I don't was, they, they were big into that. They were big into the whole cake offering thing. Yeah. Mm. Why why is it wrong for me to name drop Thomas Carlyle? I'm actually going to write something about Young's idea of the sacrifice and Thomas Carlyle the hero. But no, I think that my, that was my point, Gnostic, before is Thomas that Carl Jung. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if you read the Red Book, we talk about the hero and Siegfried and so forth. Yeah. But um, no, in the ancient world, there was still a lot of these, none of these fucking concepts are new. That's the point. If you read the Dialectic of Enlightenment oh, by Horkheimer and Adorno, they talk that, about even the Enlightenment. There's nothing new to Christianity. Well, no, Christianity was radically new. It was all the old stuff. No, but let me finish. My the the notion of reason itself, the way that you're purporting, was even there in the ancient world because the sort of the tension between mythos and reason was right there when. Odysseus made the Cyclops poke his eye out by tricking him and saying, and when he goes back to the Titans, they asked him, who did this to you? Nobody did this to me. Nobody did this to me. Um, it's always been our only means of knowledge. Yeah, you got the you're epic- saying reason is this like radically like reified like singularity no, that goes no, through the no, enlightenment. No, no, no. The Epicureans and the Stoics 
we're always debating with the Platonists and the Pythagoreans. This was this already our conversation we're having right now. If you read the book by Cicero on the nature of the gods, that is the exact thing that's happening in that book. It's basically a debate. Right, a brilliant connection you just it's, made. It's, it's a debate between rational thinkers, naturalists, and, and theists, and, and myth, mythicists. And but that's my point, Gnostic. No, I mean, I, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. No, but no, but that's oh. what I mean. Is that the problem I have with James is not just not James. I mean the royal James. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the problem I have with a lot of this Enlightenment stuff, especially the Scottish and British Enlightenment, is that you the purporting that blah, the purporting that reason is this very unique property that only came about in human history. It's very similar to how the libs argue that well, you everyone was in the Dark Ages before the 1960s, and it's just Descartes' analytic geometry, Newton's laws of mechanics, Darwin's theory of natural selection, uh, Pasteur's discovery of microbiology being behind diseases, uh, Mendel's discovery of genetics. Yeah, reason, in fact, learning the experimental method, controlled experiments, the scientific method, only been known in the last three or 400 years, sir. And that came from Descartes, right? Would you agree that came from Descartes? It is an effective means of knowing. It is a powerful means of knowing. It cures diseases and puts us on the moon. Faith does not. Never could have. Uh, faith does put us on the moon, by the way, but that's a different... Not until we discovered... Descartes, Descartes launched all of those scientific discoveries, but you know where Descartes got his notion of reason? From an angel that told him to think of things in terms of number and measure when he was a soldier for the Habsburg army. He was visited by an angel... Descartes, he claimed that he was visited by an angel yeah, that true. told him in his dreams that he had to view reality through number and measure when he was this uh, you know, bugle soldier for the Habsburg army. So all of modern reason comes about <laughs> from an angel. No one would see the reason why he invented analytics. <laughs> That's an epic Reddit. Oh, hold, on, love, love, right hold on, love, James. Love James, <laughs> James go ahead. Motive is irrelevant. The motive is not. A... <laughs> James, would you not say that there's, but th but that would imply that there was a divine providence in order for humanity to fully come into their logos, their use of reason through an angel sending Descartes that message. I I don't I I it's this possible. sounds crazy. I know. I think it's possible that Descartes could have been saying that to get people who are myth fundamentalist type thinkers who think and only in terms of I needed to be divinely inspired for it to be real. He could have been doing that. Descartes wrote in a boiler in his pajamas. <laughs> All Descartes said is, I was visited by an angel and he gave me this. No one would care. It was his mathematical right. demonstration right. that made it indispensable as a tool for Newton. And all future physics. Well, speaking of Newton, I mean, there was a guy who loved to uh, dabble in uh, things like, uh, what was it? The, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, Newton was a mystic. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. In fact, uh, uh, I, there's no alchemy, question. Alchemy, alchemy. Uh, no question about it. Many great scientists were total thorough mystics. Now, many Mer most of them. Mystical ideas. But there's, it's not that. It, what proved the New Newton or what proved Descartes or what proved Kepler was not their religion, but their reason. Well, that don't use, I wouldn't use well, their religion here. Them was their religion. That's no, 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 no. Here's the thing. Descartes' nonsense, Newton's nonsense. Yes. Totally 
nonsense, Kepler's nonsense, which was totally different mystical nonsense. What they, but agree with the rationally proved parts of what they said. But you're butchering the motivations for how they came up with those rationally proved parts. James. It's only proved parts that were proved. The motivations well, do not why, necessarily imply that these was, came from me, the specific you, religions. It doesn't I mean that there was a nonsense and lose none of the power of Descartes, Newton, and Kepler. There no, was this the, one interview are, okay. that Richard Dawkins did back in the day. It was for a radio show, a British um, music show, where they made him pick his favorite classical albums, and one of them happened to be a religious hymn. And this, the presenter, not knowing you know, the myth of Richard Dawkins, uh, that he asked him, do you think if we lived in a world without religion or Christianity in particular, do you think that this great piece of art would have been made? And Richard Dawkins' bold face said, no, I probably don't think it would have been made. Meaning well, that... I don't think, for example, a lot of the great work of Michelangelo would be made if it weren't for religious myth. They were based on religious myth. Now, yes. Michelangelo was a total rejection of the centuries of medieval art that came before him. He used scientific means to learn about the body. He used perspective. He used a Greek classical ideas that he copied. And he was using, he had nudes all over the place. Cardinals would come in, see him, pay, and they could do, oh, be scandalized. What are all these naked bodies doing on the Sistine Chapel? Ah! It was the hypocrisy of the, it was the hypocrisy of the Renaissance church that was its best feature. As No, 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 no. As... Let, let me debate you on this point as an artist myself who studied a bit of the history. Um, mm -hmm. There were many artistic, yes, of course he was using ancient, uh, more ancient forms of perspective, but when it was great, not that he imitated the bearded two dimensional Christ from the dark ages. No, but see imitation when it came to the later Renaissance imitation did become a more important point more when it natural, came to the naturalism, more, more sexual, more sensual, more scientifically accurate. But yes, it's true. But also he was relying upon, Ideas that were present both in Christianity and and before Christianity to do that, even in the work of art, you had Greek statues that had this replication of reality. David and the Pietas that were done 500 years earlier, and the difference right. is the secularness of the society and the infiltration of pagan Greek ideas in the Renaissance. No, 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 no. But even art historians would say that this secularization that this of the late Renaissance wasn't true, though. There was still immense religious mysticism at the arch and cardinals who went and said, ah. What a lot of this nudity. They were no, most no. of the cardinals were scandalized by Cardinal Borgia's paganism, and later by uh, uh, Pope Julius's uh, hiring of Michelangelo. They were scandalized. Hey, At the time oh, they were scandalized, but even before in the earlier uh, Renaissance, there still was the. They stripped all the ornament from their churches. But but the churches. Okay, when it all right, came we gotta to, we gotta move on. No, no, no let, let okay. me finish. Let me finish. When <laughs> no. it came specific, because I'm an artist, I have to, I'm a painter, I have to do yes. this. When it came specifically to artistic practices in the earlier Renaissance, the church did allow a degree of studying the natural form that they just didn't want to promote at mass scale. But when that did happen, even in the later Renaissance, there still was a, it wasn't this like, you know, they, they all of a sudden they learned paganism again and they became freer, they became hippies. There still was a heart of traditionalist religious mysticism. For example, Botticelli created some of the most luscious nudes in human history, but he was taking taken in by a radical traditionalist priest and later denounced his old work. Think of it. Think of the think of the evil effect on one of the greatest artists in human history that religion had. Taking Some of his greater works were his later religious paintings, though. Art. 
all that sexy, gorgeous, life-promoting, secular art that he was, uh, gorgeous nudes that he was producing. But they and weren't exactly secular because the female nude was the height of Christian beauty in the, in the Italian Renaissance. Oh, a bunch of sexy nudes that a bunch of cardinals were already complaining about. No, no. They were complaining about it in one sense for the common people, but there were scholars that recognized that the human nude was a divine entity, especially the female nude. If you read Kenneth Clark's book on the nude, he goes specifically into the history of various scholars at the time. They just didn't want the, the people to be caught up in their baser, lower peasant lust, as opposed to men of high scholarship that could interpret the female nude into a form of divine beauty. There was a lot of scholarship at the time around this issue. With the, with the supernatural dimension over this world uh, was in slow retreat from the Renaissance forward, thank goodness. And everything about the modern world that makes it great was the product of rejecting some previous religious notion. No! no. The divine right no. of king. Some of Monticelli's greatest works were his later religious paintings, though. Objectively. <laughs> It's filled with justifications for slavery, the divine right of kings, Romans 13, etc., yes. etc. It was the rejection to insert the Jiga Chat image. It um, was the rejection of those ideas that brought about human prosperity, freedom, mm -hmm. civilization. No, but there, there was great right, abolitionist movements we gotta, that we took inspiration from their Christian faith to abolish slavery. We got to move on. We've been here too too long. You know, even though that's this is another very, point of it. There's very Christians, enjoyable. There's very there's a lot of social. I, I, All right, real quick. Real let quick. me what, let me just say oh. one more thing. I'm oh. going to say to Craig's Cobb, yes, there is a glut of cringe cath trad arguments for tearing down every nude statue, but I vehemently disagree with them. Anyone, and this is why I got into a Zoomer theosis, but he clarified his position. Anyone who argues against the nude within Christian <laughs> apologia and art, they are wrong. They do not know their art history or their theology when it relates to that art history. All right, Liam Converse, James, I'm $5. Sorry, I okay, Liam Converse, $5. If he defines capitalism as property rights, then Christianity is capitalism because property rights are right in the Ten Commandments. Oh, uh, Jesus modified the saner view of uh, in many areas of the Jewish law. For example, the we've talked about some of them. You've heard, don't, don't kill. I say, don't get angry. You've already sinned. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. I say lust is already a sin. You've heard yeah, eye for an eye. Uh, you know, no way, man, turn the other cheek. So Jesus is going right down the list on a lot of these Jewish ideas and tossing them right out the window, including property. The apostles were told held all of their property in common in the books of Acts. Jesus said, don't worry about what you wear, what you eat or how you make a living. Get your focus on the kingdom of heaven. You can't serve two masters. The last here in this world will be the first there and the first there will be last year. So don't be thinking about succeeding here on earth. That doesn't matter at all. So, uh, no. Uh, the hostility to money, the communal property, the focus on another life. No, capitalism is about profit motive, selfishness, enjoying life on Earth, succeeding here on in Earth, on Earth. Yeah. Indeed. Oh my God, Next, that's Kit, terrible. Kit McNeil. Kit McNeil. Five dollars. Uh, no, two dollars. This debate. Uh, and needs some orthodoxy. Well, Gravitas is going to watch this. I've been in touch with him. Unfortunately, right now, his work has uh, caused him to be within the work for a long time, but he is going to watch this, and I look forward to having him on. Uh, so, Chicksasab, Sue Dollars, 
Reminds me of Chicken Bob, doesn't it, Gio? Chicks is Cobb, yeah, Chicken, Chicken Bob. Bob. Yeah, uh, $2. Why is... Uh, oh, okay, here's the thing. I've done enough with the YouTube algorithm. Here's the thing. When I talked about that particular thing before, I think that I don't know how the AI... Re- for a stream that's been on this long, I doubt the AI would even go this far, number one. Number two, when it comes to... Uh, I don't want to... I, 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 I don't want to cause any damage, let's say like that, when it comes to this particular super chat. But when you're talking about certain subjects and criticizing them, like if we had Rabbi Singer in here, and if he was talking about these particular things, just like I've been talking the about chat? them... What? You didn't say the super chat. Oh, well, yeah, because because of those reasons. Gio oh, knows what it is. Okay. Yes, 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 exactly. Oh. No, but... Oh, oh yes, uh, the Super Chat read... Um... Wait, no, 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 that's the whole thing. I don't want to say the Super Chat. Something about a hoax of a particular... Yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's... That, yeah. No, but the Look, reason you why... You have I'm... to read it. You have but the, re- to... the reason why I'm saying this is... Tits okay. kebab, will incels get laid in heaven? Incels will have 72... Uh, e girls in mm-hmm. in heaven. Seven All right, next. E-girls okay, next one. Tux, Tux, love you from our great Mormon friend Tux. Uh, Two dollars. I am my own Sneed. I am my own Sneed. I am my own Sneed. <laughs> All right, next one. Nerd Magic four ninety nine. Oh. You're arguing. James, sem- do you know about do you know about Sneed? By the way, Sneed. Uh, no. Do you, have you do you know that one Simpsons episode where Homer goes back to his farm? I've seen most of the Simpsons, but this one isn't coming to mind. Well, well Homer goes back to his uh, his farm, and he tried that Grandpa owned, and right. the store was called. Um, I'm I'm going blank. Something Sneed and Feed. Uh, oh, uh, Lev, what was the store called? Uh, the store was called. Um, uh, hold on. What is wrong with me? Sneed feed. See, I have to actually look this stuff up right now. Can you believe that I don't remember? Seed, it? sneed, and feed. Sneeds, seed, oh. and feed. Yes, need seed, and feed. Form- <laughs> yeah. Formerly, formerly, formerly Chucks. Chucks. Formerly now the Chucks. writers they made this clever joke where they said that formerly Chucks what rhymes with S and F, suck and fuck, but because they couldn't say it. Because they couldn't say it on that national television. It was a way to hide it. So what happened was Sneed became very popular on 4chan in the internet because it's a way to post um, naughty uh, words to evade censorship. That's why Sneed and Feed became so... Uh, The Sneed thing became popular. You see it on the screen over here? And and this guy over here, this is is Sneed. So oh, yeah, that's Sneed, right yeah. What do you what do you think of Sneed? What do you think of his physiognomy? Left, put him on your so- oh don't. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> no, no, but in general, James, what do you think of his face, facial expression, just like the way that he looks? Any thoughts? I think he looks a little innocent, naive, benevolent, uh, but there's a slight psychotic edge to him. Yeah. Yeah, he he, he really chides <laughs> Homer for having a manicure. And and, uh, and being a city slicker. It's like, well, your fancy Gucci loafers. I bought these shoes from homeless man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, I love the yeah. super chat. Yeah, this is an anti. By the way, this is an anti city slicker uh, stream. No, no city slickers uh, allowed. Yeah. All right. Mm. So anyway, over here, uh, oh. next super chat. Man, I, see, I had this thing open, I feel but then like I was I'm, looking I'm at I'm the... like, uh, I went through a, the tournament of death right here. 
All right, here we go. We're we're closing it out. I know everybody's Another wrestling analogy. Everybody's getting ready to. Uh, okay, oh, here we, we have go. more super chats. We more super chats. No, two more, and that's it. Nerd oh, Magic okay. four ninety nine. You're ma- arguing semantics. Uh, when in bronze era, making phallus weapons, power, law, servitude, king, kings, governments, religion, knowing right, wrong, not hard. <laughs> that's the that's the super right. chat. Good. All right, well, you know no. someone mentioned Uram Brooks. That is who is also an objectivist. He reviewed Bronze Age mindset on his podcast. James, have you heard of Bronze Age pervert? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh man, I thought that was gonna be. Well, we're gonna. You know, we should have. You know what, love? Someone proposed to me in a DM that we should have a debate: Christianity versus uh, Baptist uh, vitalism, or uh, you know paganism versus christianity another type of stream although the last paganism versus christianity stream was a fucking disaster and that was because of some drama geo geo you know my you know my policy i want to have only uh i want to have one authoritarian and one non-authoritarian i'm not gonna have two authoritarians on the same stream that's (laughs) that's my policy well Lev, right. that's just because you're you're uh, you're cocked a- by the longhouse mother, Lev. Of uh, never mind. Yeah, you're, you're 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 cocked by the schlonghouse father. That's all. I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you final guys- super chat of the day. Uh, memo history. Memo history. Four ninety nine. Oh, this one. Regio Descartes mysticism. A fruit tree planted to appease the gods still feeds the hungry. Therefore, mysticism is nutritious, non <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but no, but that fruit tree is still planted. The motivation is still there. That fruit tree wouldn't have been planted if it wasn't for the mysticism. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that a lot of these that a lot of these scientists, like like Nikola Tesla and so on, they do have these visionary situations, and you could attribute it to whatever. But that still seems yeah, to be the Crick, pattern. Yeah, took LSD. Sure. Well, LSD, that's one thing. But in general, I think that a lot of these, you know, they're, like I said before, there's a lot to discover of what exactly is going on. But anyway, we've been through too much here. This has been an amazing stream. One, one of the best, I'd say, as far as just the back and forth. It's been, it's been quite, quite a journey. And we're not done yet. If you subscribe to Break the Rules right now, you're going to be in for a real treat this Monday. A non-traditional day, Monday. And on Tuesday, by the way, Alexander Bard is going to be back with Lord Miles. Lord Miles, all the oh way from Ukraine, talking with Alexander Bard. <laughs> That's going <laughs> to What the fuck is he doing? Oh. Yeah, so James, if you don't know, our friend Lord Miles Routledge, he was the uh, British guy in Afghanistan, like one of the last uh, people in there, you know, not from there, who got, uh, you know, out in time. And he's an adventurer. He just loves going all around the world. He was in, uh, where was he? He was in Africa. He wanted to get to this uh, place, like this territory in between Egypt and, um, uh, what was it? What was that country, Gio? Jordan? No. Egypt and... Libya? Uh, Libya? No. No, no, no. no. Egypt oh, and... Syria? Yeah. No. What Libya? is wrong with us? Morocco? No. no. Egypt borders. Egypt borders. Sudan. Sudan. South, That's right? it. Sudan. Sudan. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. missionary work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And Israel. Wa- uh, yes. And he wants right. to get... We was kings. We was kings. He wants to get a territory there 
in yeah. uh, in between that you know region that's uh, not really either one of those peoples, and he wants to make like an encampment there and then turn that into his own country. So wow. I wish him the best of luck there. Oh, wow. And uh, now he's in Ukraine, and you know, like he goes all around the world. Very interesting guy, and he's gonna talk to Alexander Bard, who is a very interesting guy as well. Different world. He was a male prostitute uh, in the uh, beginning of his, you know, career. Wow. Then he became a musician, one of the top-selling uh, artists in the uh, Euro scene. You know, top-selling in the Russia as well. The reason he's popular is yes, yes. And he's a philosopher. He became one of the most uh, popular non-academic um, philosophers in Europe because a lot of um, he was one of the very first philosophers to theorize upon the nature of existence within the internet age. And in fact, he crafted a lot of different um, terminology that a lot of like tech heads use nowadays, like netocracy. Yeah. Technocracy and so forth. That was his, uh, he really was the most influential philosopher of the early internet. And even nowadays. So Alexander Bard, I mean, it's kind of fucked up. It's kind of crazy how we talked to him on the regular. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's actually, I'm, I'm stunned, but yeah. uh, yes, I but, just want to say before I chime out, yeah, yeah go. great fun. It got a little lively, but that's oh, yeah. what we want is a little lively. We did yeah, exactly. uh, talk maybe so much, yes. over time, but at least we are friendly and civil, and this was a good time. I, I couldn't think, agree thank more. You. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, we have to have you again. Definitely. I would love to. I would love maybe, to. Maybe well, we will definitely put you against Northo or fun. someone. Oh yeah, or, well, Grant no, 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 an ortho and a hippie New Ager, like uh, can you <laughs> him and Rupert Sheldrake. Holy crap, that would be like. Yeah, I don't oh. know if he does debates though, but I could just say let's just well, have he a did conversation. The trialogues, but that but that wasn't a debate though. The trialogues were not a debate. They were like yeah, him well, and, let's see. and Abram and McKenna. Let's see what we could do next. If we get Graham Hancock into the mix, then we're cooking. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate it. Be sure to like, subscribe, share this with everybody. Once again, patreon.com slash break the rules. And also, listen, please do me a solid and follow us on Odyssey. Even if I did not uh, do an Odyssey exclusive stream today, I'm actually oh, going to post. Oh, you forgot about that one. <laughs> oh, no, no, I didn't forget about that one. I wanted this to be like there was so much energy going on here. I don't really want to split it up. But uh, when it comes to Odyssey, I want to part the Red Sea and bring people over into Odyssey. So here is the link. Here is the link to Odyssey. Everybody, go and follow Odyssey right now. Bring the numbers up there, and I am going to have an Odyssey exclusive clip. You remember when we had the fifth wave feminist on from the mental institution? I'm oh, going to yeah. post that. That is a wonderful conversation that we had yesterday, and uh, look forward right, to that. That, that. That one's 